You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. and welcome to the Nerd Room MCU Retrospective Series, a 16-month look back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe leading into a weekend of release review of Avengers Infinity War. I'm one of your hosts, Tim. I'm Troy. And I'm Sanjay. And this month, we'll be discussing Captain America, the first Avenger, the fifth entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, starring Chris Evans, Hugo Weaving, Haley Atwell, Sebastian Stan, Dominic Cooper, Stanley Tucci, and Tommy Lee Jones, directed by Joe Johnson. Oh, that's a mouthful. It is. (laughs) Gentlemen, welcome back to the retrospective table. I'm thoroughly excited to discuss captain america the first avenger spoiler alert this is one of my favorite mcu films to date even considering what we've had come out in the last couple years wow this still ranks amongst my favorite i do have a little bit of a connection to this yeah which we will get into okay but i'm excited to take a deep dive into captain america's history and how important i think this film actually is i think this is one of the linchpins if not the linchpin of phase one Wow, that's high praise. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's our last stop until we get to the Avengers. This was the build into this culmination of this universe that we've been talking about for the last few months. Yeah. Is that we're building into this huge assembling of these characters. And this had to work. This had to make sense. We had to be able to have a character we were sympathetic towards that we understood where he came from in World War II, but also made sense that he all of a sudden got transported to the early 2000s or late 2000s, and it made sense with a guy that flew in an Iron Man suit and a guy that came from Asgard. Yeah, yeah, kiss my Asgard. (laughs) (laughs) So this is, like I said, an immensely important movie, and I think... When we look back at this, the development of this thing, this this came out in 2011, so it's the first year that Marvel had two MCU flicks in the same year. Now we're up to three, which is fantastic for all of us. But looking back at the early 2000s, we've got Blade, X-Men, and Spider-Man reigning the box office from the comic book movie perspective. Then we have a bit of a lull here, and it all really picks up in 2008 with Iron Man. And without the success of Iron Man, we probably don't get this movie. We probably don't get the cinematic universe. But Captain America, outside of some of the other films that we've discussed, Captain America was one of the only characters that Marvel actually held on to. This was the character or one of the few characters that they pitched when they got this $500 million loan to start producing their own films. So this was always meant to be one of the pillars of the MCU in Captain America. And it just so happened that Iron Man, Hulk, and Thor all came before him. <laughs> this character was a bit harder to translate onto screen, I think. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that he was the last one before the Avengers, even though his movie takes place in the 1940s before any of the Avengers. It's kind of interesting, like, if you were to go back, um, do you think they should have released this one first? Because it's chronologically, it makes the most sense. Well, when you look at, and we'll get into all this for sure, but when you look at the ties, especially in the early part of this movie, that this has to Thor and Iron Man, mm-hmm. put yourself back and watching this one first. All of that seems like universe building. Yeah. Where in this movie, it seems like character development and bridge building. Yeah. So I think it, it weighs down the movie a lot less than if you had put it first. 
especially with the Thor connection we get here right off the bat, as well as all the Iron Man, Howard Stark stuff. If you throw that all at the wall when you're first sitting in the theater, you're going to be all over the place. It's important to have all of that, and people were excited to see that because they were in the know at this point. You throw that at them first, you're like, who's Howard Stark? Yeah. Who's What's Idrisil? Yeah. What's what's the Tesseract? Carter, we're all, all over the place. <laughs> what's S.H.I.E.L.D.? You have yeah. no idea. Or the precursor to S.H.I.E.L.D., it's right. the SSR. You have this before, and it, it kind of... I think jumbles the movie. It weighs it down in universe and continuity building. But having it at the end here, you can do all that freely and it makes the movie, I think at least better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely with what you're saying. Plus I, I like the fact that, you know, the MCU kicked it off with Iron Man, like that rock and roll feel good, high yeah. action. Everybody can kind of jump on board. Thor, we get a little bit of humor, but he's still this, this godly character. And then boom, we get, you know, Captain America. It kind of gets a little more grounded, brings you down a little bit, you know, kind of just before we get this high, intensity movie like the avengers kicking up after so right. i really like the order it plays in and there's a lot of things they do in this movie that just kind of um i use this a lot but kind of has that winter soldier effect yeah. a little bit too so when you watch the avengers of all and you go back to this you really appreciate what chris evans did for the role yeah. of captain america even more so right yeah. yeah no he did a terrific job have you guys ever i'm curious have you guys ever went back and had a like like a marathon in preparation for like maybe age of ultron or uh, Infinity War and have you watched this first and then watched Iron Man or do you just strictly watch it in the release date personally I think the the release order for at least phase one here we had talked about in the past if there is some sort of machete order that you can watch this in and I think maybe you can do that with some of the other films but from what I was saying just a few minutes ago I think it's really important to watch this right before the Avengers this sets mm -hmm. up your MacGuffin and in the Tesseract, this sets up the character that you're going to see leading the Avengers. And it plays a lot into building the mythos around the MCU. Well, even going into Winter Soldier and going into Age of Ultron, this is still, like I said, one of those linchpin movies that I think you need to watch because it spends a lot of time organically building this universe mm -hmm. and connecting things that maybe you wouldn't have seen before if you hadn't had the knowledge of Thor. And the, the thing with Captain America, too, that I think is so important is that you know, with Iron Man, we, they took a bit of a risk because he's an unknown character, but he was a character that people could connect with because it's technology-based. It was somewhat grounded. Yeah. And they took a risk with Thor as well. And then Captain America is their last big risk because this this is essentially a period piece. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're trying to get this, like, we got the rock and roll with, yeah. with Iron Man. You've got Hulk, big green monster. You've got something that's a bit out there in space and building up some of the magic and all this. And then you've got a period piece. Yeah. Like this had to work. This had to make sense aesthetically and it had to honor the comic books while also feeling like a full complete movie that led into something else. So I think that's like you take all of that and, and the weight that was put on this movie. I think that there was if this hadn't done well, you're looking at something that's not building into or building the momentum into Avengers. And that's one of the reasons why I really love this movie is I think it was successful at building the hype and building into Avengers as opposed to trying to set up a huge universe without feeling like a contained Captain America story in itself. So the director of this film, like I mentioned, was Joe Johnson. He is of the Rocketeer fame. He's got a long history with Lucasfilm. He was an art director and effects designer on Empire Strikes Back. He's had a hand in indie. He's, he's done a lot of the Narnia films building into this. And he was given this movie, Captain America, the first Avenger, based off of his experiences from The Rocketeer, which is essentially a period piece movie of a comic book hero. So you take that and it translates really well into Captain America, a period piece comic book movie. 
I think this is an excellent, excellent choice for a director. He's one of these safe directors that, in, in you know, we'll take this to the real world for a second, that was rumored to be taking the, the untitled Han Solo film right. because of his dependency and because of his history with these type of films. What do you guys think of the choice of director here? It's a little bit different than the off-the-wall John Favreau. Yeah. And then also you look at Kenneth Branagh for Thor. This guy, he seems like a right, the right choice. He seems like a, a very logical choice for this film. What are you guys' thoughts on him for this film? Yeah, I think it's something they need to do. I think they need that safe choice. But wow, does he ever knock it out of the park here? Because it's so um, character-driven on Chris Evans here. Because you know the cool thing is, is when you go back to uh, Iron Man, you know you see Tony Stark evolve into the Tony Stark that we all know. And same with Chris Hemsworth. He becomes worthy of Thor again. Whereas here, Captain America, you take away the super soldier serum. He's still the same guy that we have all the way up into Civil War. Like, this guy mm-hmm. has a lot of heart to him, you know? Like, he says to uh, to Spider-Man there in Civil War. So, I just, I you know, I fell in love with the character more so Steve Rogers after watching this film the first time in theaters. So, Joe Johnson nailed it, you know, with um, The Rocketeer. You can totally see the similar path that they've chosen in the movie. So, yeah, it, it is a good choice and it worked for me. I'm glad they did decide to go different with the Russo brothers, obviously, in Civil War. Just to kind of switch it up a little bit there and i do like what joss whedon as well did with him in avengers one and two yeah it's a it's interesting choice i'm curious as to why they didn't invite him back for the sequel i think if you look at the type of movie they're trying to build here yeah he was appropriate for just that he Mm -hmm. served a purpose right we look at what joss whedon did like troy said in avengers and then what the russo brothers was next level we're in the modern day now yeah he fit this idea of we need to build a period piece we need to build a likable character Mm -hmm. to go into the modern day and then going into the modern day we have something different we want to do and that was anthony and joe russo right and even taking that, this the screenwriters that have done all three of the Cap films, wow. this is Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, they've done all three Cap films, they did Thor The Dark World, they're doing Avengers Infinity War, Avengers 4, so they've had a heavy hand in the development of this character, and I think you see that through here, is that... Captain America has had a great evolution through the MCU Mm -hmm. and he's this man at a time, but he consistently brings something different to the table. And that has to do, I think with having the same good writers going through this. This isn't like a James Gunn, who's a writer director combo. These are guys that are committed to writing stories for the MCU and building up that continuity. And they've been extremely successful in this franchise because we talk about the MCU all the time on the other podcast and we consistently say, well, at least I do, that I think Captain America, maybe not being a full trilogy in the sense that you can watch it back to back, but as a whole, mm-hmm. that is the strongest franchise, I think, starting from the first Avenger right through to Civil War. Yeah. yeah. No, it makes sense what you say, too, because, you know, you look at um, uh, Captain America throughout this whole franchise of the Avengers and his standalones, and it feels consistent. It feels like it's the same... Um, Steve Rogers that we get all the time, much like the Han Solo that we get at the same time with um, <laughs> with uh, Kasdan yeah. writing. So it makes sense that they've kept those writers all around, and I can't wait to see more of this character and what they do. Yeah. Now, when this came out in 2011, July of 2011, where were you guys at? Do you remember <laughs> seeing this film? This is something we revisit on every retrospective episode, right. is how do you remember seeing this film? Because sometimes that's really important as how you experienced this for the first time. Was it a positive crowd? Did you really get behind Captain America in this movie? Or did you come up thinking like, eh, you know, I'm really not that excited for <laughs> the Avengers anymore? <laughs> you know, I, I kind of remember this vaguely because... I saw it on the Friday, but during the day, because it came out early, I think, on the Thursday. And I I went to some kind of bar back then, and I (laughs) went pretty hard that night. And I just rolled out of bed, like, 
hey, Captain America's out. I'm going to go see this movie at Chinook Cineplex there. And I rolled in and I watched it. And the first thing I, I remember, too, is when I got there, I got my seat. The person working uh, the theater there came out and he said, everybody, make sure you stay to the very end because there's a special announcement at the end of this movie. <laughs> and I was like, oh, awesome can't wait can't yeah. wait you know and obviously we all know what that is we get the whole avengers sequence coming up i think it said avengers assemble or maybe that's the marketing beforehand i was, can't remember yeah it's yeah. something is assembling in may 2012 right. oh, right. oh and there's these cool cuts of like thor and, yeah and it was like Cap. the first couple of weeks of shooting yeah. yeah yeah oh man it's like i think stay tuned for next year and I just <laughs> lost my mind so yeah it's a good experience for oh, sure that's good uh yeah i don't have quite the recollection as you do <laughs> uh i was just getting onto the cusp of nerdum at this point like i had flirted with it in and out you know like at a bar and you see a cute girl you know you kind of flirt back and forth um i'm sure your wife would love that, right? <laughs> that analogy how do you think yeah. we met <laughs> she was working at a bar and uh, you know that's how we met and uh <laughs> i don't know if that's true <laughs> and uh so I didn't see it in 2011 and then 2012 came and the Avengers was coming out and I was like, Oh shit, the Avengers is coming out. I was like, but I haven't seen Captain America yet. So I'm like, oh, I think I should go watch it. So I hauled my ass to the old blockbuster. I think there you go. Uh, Rogers or one of the video rental stores. I was still around at that time <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, rented it, watched it, thought well, that was pretty good. And then went to see Avengers like the next day. So that's my Captain America rebirth story, I guess. <laughs> Project Rebirth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this movie for me, this is, I think, why I have such a personal attachment and I'm so enthusiastic about this movie is this is the first MCU movie I remember seeing in theaters. Oh, wow. It was in Kelowna. My wife and I, my girlfriend at the time, were driving down to our vacation spot that we go to every single year. Yeah. And we had taken a pit stop in Kelowna and I said, look, Captain America just came out. <laughs> I was like, we should go see it. Yeah. And she's like, okay, whatever. Like, this is, I'm not even into comic books at this point. Yeah. And we go see it and I absolutely love it. And then the stinger at the end with the Avengers. Oh. <laughs> the next day, I go to the comic book shop and start picking up comics. Wow. Uh, this was my avenue in to comic books. I remember going to where we go on vacation. There's a used bookshop. Yeah. And I was in there flipping through long boxes for the first time wow. the day after seeing the first Avenger. So this movie is what is responsible for my love for comic books, my love for this universe, as well as part of the reason why we're doing this. Yeah. yeah. Is Jeez. that this is what got me into all of it. So I think that's why I have such a personal connection to this movie and to Captain America. He's my boy. He's the yeah. guy I follow thick and thin, whatever the comic books are doing, I'm reading. Yeah. <laughs> so this is why I have that connection is because of how I experienced this movie and coming out of it, I was blown away. That's awesome. I think that's what Marvel wants to have all of its fans. Yeah. Really. yeah. All, comics, yeah. all of a sudden but, become an obsessive comic book. Yeah. And action <laughs> <laughs> so this one movie is responsible for thousands of dollars yes. to Marvel. So true. Yeah. So true. And countless hours of discussion. Yeah. Oh man, you would have been like a rocket scientist or something with all your free yeah. time. I could have bought a really nice house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's but awesome as much as it hit with me it didn't necessarily hit with everyone as far as box office returns mm -hmm. this movie it was you know we're still at the cusp of the mcu here we don't have that avengers bump or that name brand recognition that marvel the mcu has today but this movie opened to 65 million dollars domestically which is pretty good which that's was pretty good it was seen as a success at the time for a character that again people were familiar with but really didn't know how it all fit into the grand scheme of things and its domestic run ended at 176 million dollars when we look at a couple weeks ago 
the Guardians debuted to $146 million. <laughs> Things <laughs> have been changing. Yes. <laughs> Captain America Civil War debuted to $179 million. Wow. So the third installment on this debuted on its opening weekend to more money than the whole domestic run of the first Avenger. That's what you want to see oh. is those gains, right? Like, oh, yeah. Mad Marvel, gains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's the second lowest grossing MCU movie. And I don't think that's any fault of its own, but Ant-Man did outgross this Thor, Doctor Strange, all that. So it is sitting at the bottom. So if you're if you're just using the box office as a scale, this sits just above The Incredible Hulk for, Ooh. I think it's 14th as far as the number of MCU films. So it doesn't have a high standing in gross, but this is something that we like to come back to and reference here because there's the importance of being financially successful, but there's also the importance of what a movie does for a universe. And this is something that I'm always banging on about is that a movie, when you look at DC or Marvel, whatever, it doesn't need to be the biggest box office or the biggest movie of all time. It just needs to be a good movie and set something else up for the future. This movie set up that franchise to be a billion dollar film, which is crazy when you think about it. This movie did, I think worldwide, something around, 360 370 million dollars and captain america 3 albeit is avengers movie but right. yeah. it did over a billion dollars wow so, so why do you think that is do you think it was marketing going into the first Avengers? Do you think, <laughs> or, or no for having it 65 million do you oh, think okay. it's to do with um thor because i know for me at least i didn't receive thor that well yeah. so going into this movie i was like uh you know like i like cap i'll check it out yeah. i'm hungover but but, <laughs> but i liked it you know yeah. what i mean i think at this one like there's no big names like chris evans who was he back in 2011 yeah yeah Torch. a lot of people were like wait he's human torch i remember yeah. i was like what? yeah that How's doesn't that make work? sense those yeah. worlds are colliding I um i think they even reference that in this movie don't they they reference the original Human Torch. Yeah, they have like his costume, and but it's not the yeah. same Human Torch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, it came out in July, so it's probably a pretty busy weekend at the box office. I imagine there was a couple blockbusters before and after it, which kind of ate into its gross. Right. So you know, Tommy Lee Jones was probably the biggest person in this movie. Captain America wasn't really like a household name; like people knew about him, but like the general audience, you know, it's kind of like. I'm trying to think of a character like, but probably more so than Iron. Well, I guess Iron Man at this point was bigger, but Captain America was definitely more, well more known than like a Thor. Definitely, I would say. Yeah. yeah, I think so. And like the the movies that we're also 2011, right? Mm -hmm. We're we're pre Avengers when it comes to comic book movies, right? So pre that hundred million plus opening box office. Yeah. So even you you rack these up, like the Incredible Hulk was 55, Thor was 65. So you don't have huge openings, and you even. I guess you do have to go back to Spider-Man 1, which is 114 million, yeah. and that was 10 years prior. Yeah. So it's interesting when you compare all that as to why it didn't do the 90 plus million dollars. I just think it's the sign of the time. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's before that people were so invested in this and that everyone was anticipating that next MCU movie. That doesn't come till after Avengers. Mm -hmm. Because you look at just the relative scale of how these movies are doing post Avengers, everything has got double its opening weekend yeah. almost. And I guess too now going past these uh, these one shots or these standalones, you could say you can piggyback now. You, you know you can have you know Captain America, Iron Man show up at Spider Man to boost it. You can have yeah. Captain America pop up Black Panther or Thor pop up in Doctor mm -hmm. Strange. Whereas back then with these big threes or 
the four movies, you couldn't really do that except for the Hulk at the end. But you yeah. couldn't really market it like Iron Man's going to show up over here. Yeah. yeah, it was still in its infancy. Yeah, the whole oh, the whole sure. idea of even a cinematic universe. People weren't understanding what was going on, and the fact that it was set in World War II, people weren't connecting the dots that yeah. this made sense with a modern day Iron Man. Right. So this is, and I always spoke about this in Wonder Woman too, is that this idea of the stepping stones and doing things right and slowly and building up your universe and remembering that, yes, it's okay to mess up at the start as long as you fix that as you go. Mm-hmm. And you really see that once you get to Avengers. And I think that's where Wonder Woman can benefit or the DC extended universe is that now they have that, that first Avenger-esque film that they can right. leap off of, I think yeah. at least. They don't have an Iron Man film yet. I guess they do critic or financially, but not critically. Yeah. Right. So it's all about getting past this stumbling block. And I mm-hmm. think this was the last step for Marvel before they really became the MCU. This was still just solo movies, franchise movies. It wasn't a complete cinematic universe yet. Yeah. And, you know, they didn't rush things. If you look at some of the other cinematic universes that we have going, like, uh, Sony with Spider-Man, they tried to rush that. Big time Transformers. Uh, well, not Transformers. I guess they've taken Transformers time. has always been rushed, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, the uh, the Mo- Monsters one, the Universal Monsters. Yeah. It's like, okay, like this one, as you said, didn't kill it at the box office, but it's so important because Captain America is the heart of the Avengers, and it's pretty much the Avengers is his story. You know, it's him. You're seeing the world through his eyes. He's the one who's uh, unfrozen. So, you know, if you don't have this Captain America, and I bet you, I didn't look, but I bet you this DVD sold over 100 million. Yeah, it may have. I don't know. I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here. If we have any fact checkers in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to look. While you, while you guys are continuing, I'm going to pull this up here. <laughs> I'm curious now. I bet you, I bet you this is over 100 million Blu-ray sales because I think a, a lot of people after the Avengers came out was like, shit, this is, a, you know, this is important. This is a good movie. So they went back and they ended up buying it. So... You know, when you look at that box office gross, it's a little underwhelming. But when you take in all the other factors, it was kind of like like a boxer taking like a short jab so they can land a haymaker. You there like, you go. Yeah, oh, like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's an interesting point you bring up about him being important in the heart of the Avengers because Joss Whedon, when he was developing the Avengers script after it was penned by Zach Penn and he's rewritten everything, he was using Captain America as the audience's avenue into the film. So you're very much on point there by saying that this is the audience's perspective. It's the it's a Captain America story. And Chris Evans was was portraying a character that he was not going to have any sort of feedback on prior to the start of filming of the Avengers. So very much like Wonder Woman did and has been doing is that she's filming a character that she's putting out there and hoping that people like the portrayal of this character. Because if it doesn't land, you don't have the time to change it before the next sequel comes out. Yeah. So there was a lot at stake here. You had to really like this character that Chris Evans was putting to screen and you had to be believable for you to really kind of grasp and enjoy the direction that Joss Whedon was taking the script and the perspective he was taking from Captain America, Steve Rogers. So I just checked up the numbers is 113 million in DVD and Blu-ray sales. So yeah. that's pretty impressive. Almost as much as the domestic run. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. Yeah. Well, Captain America, we're just going to break down a few of the comic books here. So I'm not going to go into a ton of detail because we've got a long movie to get through here. When you look back at Captain America, he was created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. So they're two first-generation Jewish Americans who really believed in their country. And this is an important piece of, of all this is because Captain America, the, the first issue dropped in December of 1940. So this is one year prior to the attack at Pearl Harbor. And these two creators 
inserted America into World War II, which is, is, is quite a leap and a quite a step. This is a whole year before America even makes their way into World War II or enters World War II. So you're, you have a book, the number one issue, with a man with an American flag wrapped around him punching Hitler in the face. Mm-hmm. I think the reception of this at times wasn't as warm as maybe they had hoped. No. And it wasn't like the sales of this. This sold over a million copies. They were sending wow. this to GIs in Europe to read. This was a big comic of the time. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting here, again, 20 years prior to the superhero boom, before Avengers and, and Fantastic Four and the Justice League and Batman and all that. So this is way before everything. We have a character in Captain America that is beating up Nazis. Pretty, it's pretty admirable for them to go out on a limb because I think it was some TV show, some documentary about superheroes, but they got a lot of flack for that. A lot of people were upset saying, you know, why are you inserting the U.S. into this war? There could be repercussions, but they stuck to their guns. They, you know, they knew what was right. And you got to add, uh, you got to admire the two uh, creators. Joe Simon, Jack Kirby. I mean, Joe Simon, Jack Kirby's the king. <laughs> I mean, he is the king of comic books. So yeah, I mean, hats off to them. I, I admire, I admire the hell out of that. Yeah, I went back and read Captain America number one, two, three, and four last night because um, I just want to get a feel for. You own that, and you? No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're no. not hooking us up here, Tim. Like I was gonna say, <laughs> it's a digital copy. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. There's no way I own that. <laughs> way too expensive. I would love to own it. Can you imagine if you owned it and then you read it? Oh, yeah, how? God idiot like cautious you'd be <laughs> i would never even take it out of the, <laughs> the box no way but going back the, the voices of captain america and bucky and all that are very very different it's not an easy book to go back and read if you're looking to get into it go to the ultimates go to the Brewbreaker run if you want captain america comic books but the interesting thing about that is that the origin story is relatively similar they haven't changed it a lot i'll say there's there's definitely been retconning th- for years and they did a lot of it in the 1960s post his resurrection in avengers number four but the essence of the character has always been the same since 1940s and that's something that like that's 75 years we had an episode i went back in our catalog and look i think it was like episode 11 or something that we had a 75 years of captain america celebration from Uh, last year so this character has been around for 75 years crazy and it's stretching all the way back to world war ii and that's one thing i love about this film is that they honored those origins yes they bumped the the years up a couple so that america was actually in the war right but at the same time they they go through this origin story and take a lot of cues from it they don't try to change it or put him into vietnam or something different and and freeze him for less time Mm -hmm. they've actually gone back to world war ii and done a period piece which is it's a bit of a risk, I think, but it's honoring the comic book origins of the character. And I really, really love that about this film. You know, and it's very important that Captain America, you know, so patriotic that he gets a start in World War II. I mean, if you look after World War II ended, sales of Captain America plummeted. Yeah. I mean, he was gone for how long? You said 20 years before he was finally brought back. Yeah, 1964. Yeah. They they had a few testers where they brought him back and then it turned out it wasn't Captain America. Yeah. He lasted for, you know, after the war, not too long. But yeah, no one wanted to think about the war anymore. Right. Yeah. So his comic book sales disappeared and, you know, alien franchises and that picked up the pace and, mm-hmm. and so monsters and all that stuff yeah exactly too, right? yeah. yeah you see that of the the 50s early yeah. 50s and, exactly yeah. yeah but it's not till yeah 1964 when they pick him up again yeah, yeah. and it's stanley who brought him back 
Yep, into the Avengers. And so was he with Marvel when they brought him back? Because he wasn't originally with Marvel. So he was timely. Oh, so it was. Yeah. So, so it was yeah. an iteration. I think it was timely. It might have been Atlas at that time. Wow. I don't remember. It's That's timely. Old, yeah. yeah. Well, it goes back all the way to nineteen forties, nineteen forty. It's very cool to see like a character that you know you could legitimately see like your grandfather or your great grandfather would have possibly read. Yeah. You know, like that's kind of cool that Captain America spans that long that, you know, you can count on your hand the amount of characters that are maintain their popularity for that long. Right. And, you know, Captain America is probably the only one you could say in Marvel that's done that. Like you look at him, Iron Man I think was 60, Spider-Man was 60, so he's the he's like the granddad of Marvel. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. Human Torch isn't around anymore. Like no one pays attention to him. He's not even in the comics, I don't think. Like for the Fantastic Four side? Yeah. yeah or he Namor? Is, he's in the- you still get but they're not movie. like not Captain America. No, no they're not. He's yeah, never, Captain America been. is the granddaddy of the For Marvels. Sure. Marvel, not even the cinematic universe. He's just the granddaddy of the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. But you look at a character that comes from 1940, 75 years ago, and how difficult it is to translate that onto the screen and remain true to the comic book origins. That's not an easy feat to do. And I think as we go through this, that's something I want us to reference back to: is is it easy, or did they do well translating? The source material, which, you know, the 40s, like I said, the writing isn't what it is today. Uh, you know, it's the words are different and how sentences are structured and the references and all that. But it, it's it's taking that and honoring that and putting it to screen while also making it feel like it's from 2011. Right. Mm-hmm. So that they had to work really hard at the script, at the direction, and how this movie looked to make it engaging for audiences. Well, yeah, the, and the director does a good job of that. Even in the simple little bit here... Uh... There was a scene, I think, between Cap and Peggy. Well, actually, Cap is getting hit on by another woman. Yeah. And the woman, you know, ends up making out with Cap. And then Peggy watches and catches him. And then they're like, oh, whoa, what are you doing? And, you know, like, if this was this day and age, they'd flat out fight because they'd have, they'd already be, like, together. Yeah. Where in this movie, it's not really set up that they're officially together. It's just kind of like the times of, like, how women and males, like, interact with each other with their relationships. I thought that was kind of a cool little detail that the director himself threw in there because, you know, relationships now are a lot handled a lot differently. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's a little more like um the Facebook hands official. On. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Tinder, hands swipe on, left, yeah. Right, yeah. Cap's always swiping right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's another good thing going back to your to the screenwriters you say that write these, is that they've never thrown at you romance too much in these movies they've always done a nice job of just throwing a little bit in there nothing too much to take away from the film unlike when you go back to thor you know it's kind of in your face towards the end there right yeah they've always done a good job of kind of keeping like the love interest a little to the side it's almost like the screenwriters had this idea this vision for captain america and that they had the ability to slow burn some of this yeah because you think about how organic a lot of this feels in this movie at least steve rogers himself definitely like they take their time like as we get into the film here one of the things we're introduced to right away almost is skinny steve Yes. And they could have spent 10 minutes on this and then put Chris Evans all buffed up into the Captain America suit and went forward with it. Mm -hmm. But no, they spent like half the movie outside of the costume and outside of a true Captain America looking character. Yeah. So like this whole slow burn through all of this, I think really benefits the film. And you see this right through his trilogy and right through his story in the MCU is that they have the ability to just slowly build. They didn't rush anything. They took their time and they made this character likable. What did you guys think of the uh, skinny stuff? Going back to it now, watching it now. Um, truthfully, it, I'm not a big fan of it. Like it, to me, it kind of reminds me, you know, in Batman and Robin, where Bane like loses his venom and he becomes all like skinny. Yeah. He's like, ah, 
horrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the CGI, like, I don't know. Like, I get it, but, like, I get why they did it. But I think they went, like, too far. Like, he looks, like, malnourished. Like, someone get this kid a sandwich. <laughs> like, it's a literal line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts, man? Um, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, whoa, that's incredible that they can do that. And, yeah. and it worked back then. Revisiting it now, I was like, ah, oh, they, they really didn't need to go that far. I mean, if you just had... Maybe even if it's like even Edward Norton's body, I'm not like saying an average that dude. actor, just a, just an average guy. Yeah. Because man, it, it is taking me out for a little bit. The first we're, we're watching it now. I mean, back when I saw it back in 2011, I thought it was incredible. I thought I was on par with like um, what they've done with uh, the Tony Stark in Civil War when they made him look like a teenager. Oh right, yeah. Now not so much. Yeah. Well, yeah. surprise, surprise. I'm sitting <laughs> on the opposite side of the fence here because I I still think it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And I think it is a necessity that you have this. And when you look at like you're saying that he's too skinny, that's how he's supposed to be. <laughs> but he looks like kind of like cartoonish, like yeah. you know, like when uh, like Bugs Bunny would flex his muscle and then like, it would droop. Flare down. <laughs> like yeah. I kept thinking like Chris Evans like arm would droop down or something. Like yeah, like I, I don't know, maybe it's a, too much detail here. Was Steve Rogers meant to be smaller than like a like a Bruce Banner? You know, oh, Banner's yeah. always the puny Banner. So he's Steve supposed Rogers to be like, like tiny. Yeah, tiny that had all these ailments that just right. couldn't do anything. Like he's supposed to be just sickly. so skinny like yeah. sickly looking yeah. wow. Wow. and like when they say like i think in the comic books he's like less than 100 pounds wow like like tommy lee jones makes reference you brought a 90 pound asthmatic onto my base <laughs> he's supposed to look like that <laughs> but also like they tried really hard to make it look like chris evans still yeah yeah and i watched have you ever watched the uh how they created that like the behind no. the scenes i saw a little bit of it way back it's interesting because yeah. they they did some of it was and i think one of the important things they wanted to hit on was that it was always chris evans acting it wasn't someone else acting. They didn't want to use or recast and do someone else for the skinny Steve part and then have right. him transform into that. So they did a lot of scenes where they literally, and this might make you appreciate the CGI a bit more, they took Chris Evans, he did the acting, and they literally just shrunk him. Oh, wow. They, they oh. took his face, they, they sucked his cheeks in, they took away that jawline, yeah. you know, they, they decreased his chest and all that. Because they, I guess, and this is just from the behind the scenes, that they were thinking about doing like the, the Tom Hanks castaway type thing. Can we have Chris Evans lose a whole oh, bunch of weight? Oh, yeah. when he oh, went skinny. Okay, yeah. 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 And, but they're like, we don't have the time. We're on too tight of a time frame yeah. for him to yeah. do us and then put on and all this all muscle. Back, yeah. Yeah. So, and then the, a couple other techniques is that they had a really skinny guy. And he would take place and then they'd slap Evan's face on there. Right. And so it was about whatever worked for the scene, whatever made the most sense. So sometimes it's skinny Steve where they've shrunk Evans down. Sometimes it's a, a body double. Mm -hmm. And when they're doing the body double, they'd have to do one shot with Evans, one shot with body double, then, one shot with nothing oh, okay. for referencing. Oh. oh okay. So it's three shots of the exact same thing. So it's pretty incredible the techniques that they used to work around this. And I think for me, at least it worked. It made the start of the movie at least hit home as to who this guy was. You were supposed to believe that he was this altruistic, good dude and kind of not think about the physical part. That yeah. comes later. And I think that for me, at least, it really hit home that he was actually this 90-pound asthmatic. Yeah. Like, it made sense. They could have, I guess, too, they, they could have really stuck with it to being only 10 minutes in the film and then yeah. went to Evans. But they stuck with it. Yeah. I think yeah. that, I, I really give them a lot of credit for that. Like, I don't, like, I'm not knocking, like, some of the stuff he did. You know, he was pretty heroic when he was, like, 90 pounds. Like, he had the shield. I and, like, all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but to me, it's just, like, the look. I just thought they went too far. Like, Yeah, I, it, it's just the look for me. I like what they did. Like, yeah. I, I appreciate the fact that they did it. It's just the way it came off now. But, Interesting, because yeah. I watched this last night. I yeah. I, I was yeah. like I, in marvel of it. Yeah, I was like, wow, this looks great stuff. <laughs> I thought this movie was what seven years ago. Yeah, six years ago. Yeah. So it, 
it's like the CGI, at least for me, holds up at this end. There's other parts that you can clearly see they're on wires or green screen that. Right, yeah. But uh, for me, at least, they dumped the majority of the, the budget into this. What was the budget? I don't know. It's had to have been, it was less than 200. It was probably 140, something like that. Yeah, so they probably didn't even turn a profit then. Uh, internationally, they made like 350, so they turned a bit, probably 50, 100 million or something yeah. like that. Something so, like that, yeah. but let's kick off with the, we've talked about skinny Steve here, but we're, we're into the movie, but let's go back to the start here. And the decision that Marvel made to start this movie in the modern day and then spend 95% of it in a period piece or in World War II in the past. What are you guys thoughts on how this movie kicks off with the introduction of the Arctic and the reference kind of to Colonel Fury and all that and how they introduce this movie, how they start this movie in the modern day to kind of kick it off here instead of going directly into 1942, 1943. Well, I would have done things a little bit differently. I would have had Steve looking for a picture of the Howling Commanders with Steve. Oh, okay, one woman. <laughs> no, I totally dig it. Like, it totally works because you know it's going to get there eventually anyways. And then you kind of – people who don't really know Captain America, they see, like, they're digging through the ice trying to find them. Like, try, they're like, what are they trying to find? And then they go back. So I, I, I dug that. I thought that was a good uh, way to start the film. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I really like what they did there. It really sets the tone for the film up, and it, it's really cool. You know, you get that technology, too, with that laser spinning down yeah. through the ice and, you know, the exploring there. I, I really love what they did there. It's kind of like horror elements, too, because you started off with um, Red Skull, you know, and he's, like, going through um, looking for the, the Tesseract. Yeah, the Tesseract, yeah. yeah. And it feels kind of scary, and, you know, and it's got, like, the ice, and it feels kind of desolated and cold, and with the steam ri- rising up. Yeah. Yeah, I Did like you that. get, like, a, an alien movie vibe to it? Like, I, for me, when you it's in the ice, it looks like yeah. a saucer. Yeah. And then they go down, you get, like, the, the structure looks different because it's these Hydra ships. They've yeah. got the respirators on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I got this real, like, 1940s, like, <laughs> thing, ro- like Roswell-type yeah. hunting for aliens yeah. thing. Like, I, it was, like, I was, lo- like, looking for little Martians. And- <laughs> was it War of the Worlds? Is it yeah, kind of like, that, yeah. that vibe? To yeah, it, which is I, in, like, it goes back to Joe Johnson. Like you're yeah. seeing his reflection of you know Star Wars maybe a little, but more yeah. the Indiana Jones stuff. Yes, yeah. yes, I definitely picked it up. And, and you mentioned Hugo Weaving. Yeah. Right off the bat, he has yeah. me intrigued. Oh, right off the bat, when such he's, a great actor. Yeah, even without the Red Skull mask on, I'm interested in this villain. Yeah. Well, that was another decision that they made that I thought landed pretty well is that they kept Red Skull off the screen to almost the end of the movie. Yeah. They slow burned that as well. They didn't rush to have the Red Skull reveal. They had Johann Schmidt come yeah. into this movie. You see the stitches and he's right. got that twitch and all that. Yeah. But I think it's cool that they, they stayed away from having this reveal. They slowly kind of tease this idea that he is the opposite side of the coin of Captain America. He is of the same origin. That's something we go back to every retrospective is your villain has the same origin origin as your hero yes and they're one side or the coin or the other yeah. and i think leaving this as the same way you go through this whole film with steve rogers skinny steve into the eventuality of captain america they do kind of the same progression with the red skulls they slow burn you through this they don't rush it and i love that i really like that do you think it was necessarily because of like the makeup because hugo weaving's kind of made complaints little minor complaints going forward why you don't see him is because of the makeup do you think it's the budget or do you think that's just joe johnson's choice i mean i really like it because it kind of keeps a little grounded too you don't see this this red skull constantly throughout the film kind of keeps a little more grounded so i really do like the fact of how they handled it but do do you think that was like their choice or 
do you think it's to do with budget or just makeup shoots or i really think it's a story yeah i think mm-hmm. it's trying to parallel a bit of the steve rogers story right about how you see this character grow and develop through time and you don't rush to something like we don't it's like you kind of get that with every film is that you don't rush to your villain you did like right. emil blonsky in the incredible hulk they kind of had him he had you know a bit of the super soldier in him and then eventually he turns to the abomination and mm-hmm. you see the same thing with jeff bridges it's just a natural progression yes. through time teasing something bigger and i think this really works here because you're paralleling a bit the the origin story of the hero right yeah, yeah. no i think it works too and um i think i don't think it was makeup or anything like that because if you look at uh, hiko weaving's other superhero movie v for vendetta oh yeah, yeah he's in like the costume the whole time and the mask the whole time and he's not really like exposed so you know i i think it was just i don't think the actor was complaining about that i think it was just the storytelling. Do you think he'll come back eventually? I want him to come I back. I hope so, because I think like he's the one actor of, or the, the actor. Both. Yeah. Both. <laughs> I think both. he's probably yeah. top three best villain that the MCU's ever done. Yeah, I think he's highly underrated. Yeah. yeah. And he's so important to the MCU, but it would be cool to see him if he was like pulling the strings or something like behind the scenes. And then. I, I just don't want him to be like the master of Thanos. Like, I don't. like yeah. No, it's the, not the, that. The degree. more, the longer and longer they wait, like, if he had to come back in the Winter Soldier as the head of Hydra, he was kind of pulling those strings. Yeah. I could maybe get on board with that. Like, a lot of people thought that, um, what's his name? Robert Redford was the Red Skull. Like, he was oh, eventually no. going to pull that mask oh, off no and, and be the Red Skull. That would have been really cool. The one kind of pulling the wow. strings through all this. But as we get further and further into the MCU here, I think he has less and less of a place in the Captain America story. Like it's almost too far. Like him coming back is going to be like this whole fantastical thing that he's been off in the cosmos for however long, or if he comes back as a Lieutenant with Thanos and infinity war, I know how he's going to come back. So they're going to have someone walk up to the white house and then Donald Trump's going to reveal his mask (laughs) and be Red Skull. He's going to come back in phase four with the fantastic four and find out they've been trapped in the test rat. Well, no, I guess that doesn't really work. (laughs) I don't know. This is the negative zone. No, that doesn't work either. Uh, No more. Remind me of that. uh, Terrible, terrible movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of the test rat here, this whole first part of this movie with Johann Schmidt, it, it sets up and it ties a lot of the MacGuffin for the film in, in the form of the Tesseract, but also connects us up to Thor. We have the mention of Odin's vault. We have the mention of Idrisil. So this is concepts and ideas that we saw in the movie previous, even down to the line where he says, what others see as superstition, you and I know to be a science. So again, referencing almost directly what we get in Thor about this, you guys call it magic, but it's just science or whatever that you don't understand yet. Yes. Right. So it's really cool how they're paralleling that. And that really made sense to me and really clicked for me because we've just watched Thor. And I think that links up that movie that they're almost at opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. But it really ties these movies on, like a, on a foundational level when you're looking at the science is magic and you know Idrisil, the, the whole mythos behind yeah. Thor links up really nicely here. And we're in Norway as well. We're in Scandinavia. So it links up really nicely with Thor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It brings it together without, you know, doing the Iron Man 2 hitting you over the head with the setup. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. exactly. And after we get through this whole opening sequence, we shift to New York. We're in a post Pearl Harbor, New York. We're in a, a war torn or a war ready United States of America. What do you guys think of the whole aesthetic of the film here? It kind of switches and shifts from we've got this early start in the Arctic and then we've got kind of this this setup with Johann Schmidt and then we go to something completely different. This is the period piece that I love. What do you guys think about the look of all this and, and the setting here in New York? Well, I think, you know, just looking at the colors of this film, I mean, we have it playing in the background as we're doing this uh, retrospective series. It looks very sepia-toned, you know, like it looks kind of old school, like, uh, kind of like pictures from that era you know it's not bright and vibrant like a guardians of the galaxy movie and so they really toned it down for this 
you gotta give him credit for that like the look feels like something from like the 1940s you know what i mean like the colors and it's not like and the the costumes like the clothes people are wearing like you know they're all like toned down and stuff so i think they did a really good job capturing that look of the era yeah definitely yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, the attention to detail here is huge. And going back to Joe Johnson doing uh, The Rocketeer, it, it reflects so much throughout this film. Um, it really works, especially when you think of like Captain America or even when you go back to Wonder Woman. They're, they're such bright, colorful characters and patriotic, like, right, with the, with the red, blue, and white going on. Mm-hmm. But this movie does such a good job of toning it down without it looking like, out of place. Yeah, it you know still makes I mean? it feel believable. still makes it feel believable and grounded, right? So I, I really do like the choice of what they did here with our Joe Johnson's direction yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find the uh, change abrupt going from like Norway to New York? Not really. I, I felt that they were setting things up properly. I don't know if that's because I've seen this a whole bunch of times, but <laughs> I'd ever, and then going, I guess this, this leads nicely into editing, is that I never felt this to be choppy either. Because we do spend some time, not much time in Norway, but it's basically telling a story in parallel of Hugo Weaving's Red Skull and Captain America. Mm-hmm. And we're jumping between Germany and New York, Germany and New York, and then eventually we get into Europe, into the battlefield. And I think it does, and this is something I was trying to pay attention to, is that I, I there's the scenes are extended enough here that we spend enough time at each individual scene that it doesn't feel choppy. So I don't think I ever got this this feeling that they're juxtaposing two scenes or two environments together that didn't really make sense. It never felt abrupt to me. It always felt a natural transition going from Norway to New York to Germany. So right off the bat here, we got the introduction. We've spoken of Skinny Steve. We also <laughs> get introduced here to James Buchanan, Bucky Barnes. Yes. This is a character that is going to stick through this whole trilogy with Captain America. Um, he's played by Sebastian Stan. And in this movie, I think out of all of the movies, he's this is his, his I think, Sebastian Stan's weakest performance. I'm not going to say it's a weak re- performance, but relative to what he does in the future with the Winter Soldier. Yeah. What are you guys' thoughts here on Sebastian Stan and Bucky Barnes and his inclusion in this? Because it's a little bit different than his comic book origins. Yeah, I remember because I, I still can't remember the marketing for this film that well. I don't think I ever saw Sebastian Stan in the marketing, Bucky. But yeah. I always knew about Bucky. And I was like, wait a second, that guy's not a kid. Like, what's going <laughs> on here? You should be like 15. But, I, yeah. you know, I, I saw past that. And, yeah, it worked out. He, he kind of had like that um, that Harry Osborne kind of feel, you know, to Peter Parker. Yeah. Right? Like that one. big brother, which is kind of different from the comics, I imagine, obviously. Yeah. But but it worked for me. Right away their chemistry worked, you know, and uh I, I like it. And to see Sebastian Stan's growth throughout this franchise oh, from definitely. this role yeah. to Winter Soldier to Civil War yeah, to Civil War has been phenomenal. So yeah, it, it lays the groundwork well. It, it works for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's improved each time he's come out, uh the Winter Soldier. Yeah. Um like this one here, you know, is kind of forgettable. You don't really like remember him too well. I mean he does bite the dust a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um but you know, the stuff he does in Winter Soldier and Civil War is top notch. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, it's kinda of interesting because if you look at the sidekick, he's he's a sidekick to Captain America, basically, yeah. right? Yeah. And um was Bucky always in that? Like he was in that from the beginning as So he made his debut as in Captain America number one as his sidekick, kind of. Like the the story in the comic book goes that Captain America, I, I think he was at some scout camp or whatever right. or something, and, and Bucky wanders in and sees him putting on the cap costume. And <laughs> then Bucky says, well, I won't tell anyone, but you have to take me and make me your sidekick. <laughs> and so it's like this, yeah, it's, it's a bit ridiculous. <clears throat> So it's 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 very different from that, but I, I see it's less of a sidekick, more of a partner. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah. um, in all of this and in a best friend or brother type thing. Right. I Sorry, think that relationship, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't adopt him. Because <laughs> they're both ancient. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny too because I always knew, especially at this point, we already had the Winter Soldier comic and I've never just seen Winter Soldier in the movie yeah. coming out and I'm like, yeah, that's that's Bucky. He's yeah. Winter Soldier. Yeah. And my, my, my fiance, girlfriend at the time, was like, well, like, spoiler, I didn't know that. I'm just like, <laughs> Yeah, I guess that would be a spoiler. Like, for the general audience, you wouldn't know that he lives throughout this movie and then becomes the Worker Soldier. Uh, I guess. Yeah. Do you guys feel like this movie does a good enough job setting up the bromance between the two where we feel the emotional attachment carry throughout the rest of the MCU? Like, do you feel the scenes that they showed between these two uh, carry enough weight and make it believable that Cap would turn his back on Iron Man in Civil War? So you're asking if if all of that is deserved by the time we get to Civil War. Yeah. Do you think like this movie, because this is the linchpin. I mean, this is the only time we see them set up when they're both in Brooklyn in the 1940s. You know, I, that's it's funny you say that because that was something I really tried to concentrate on when I was watching this to do this retrospective. Yeah. And I really think they do. At first, when I, I remember it watching it, I remember it not really caring that much. And we may be benefiting from a bit of hindsight here with Winter Soldier and Civil War and, all, and the rest of the MCU. But when you look at back at this and particularly at the end captain america really blames himself for the death of bucky and i think that weighs into future decisions as to why he he almost will do and sacrifice anything for bucky like when you look at it and you think rationally in the winter soldier and even into civil war why does he back up bucky in all Mm -hmm. of these situations he never casts any sort of doubt his way it relies a lot like you said on this movie and building that relationship because outside of that we really have nothing you get a little bit in the winter soldier about how bucky took a man after his mom died right and you get a little bit about this this protectionism of bucky and all of this and you see him wanting to reciprocate that when he finds out that the the troops were pinned down by hydra and captured and, and cap wants to go out and rescue him so i think for the most part it is deserved i would have liked to see maybe a little bit more but I really don't know what else you could have done to make mm. it a bit more believable. I think there there is more, but how you'd go and approach it, I don't really know. I know. Yeah, I agree completely with what uh, Tim said here. I mean, yeah, we could have seen maybe a little bit more, but we haven't. But that's fine by me. I don't really know what else you really could have could have done. I mean, we already went and did Thor. We already got to see you know him and Loki's relationship as a kid. Right. We already explored that to kind of see them play out the same thing with him. And a young Bucky as kids, I, I just don't think it'd be uh, necessary. And and I think it is Winter Soldier where he states the fact that he uh, adopt, not adopted Cap, but yeah, he, him, took him in, right? Yeah, we do get that, that brief moment of Skinny Steve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. About him taking him in after his mom dies and he has no one right, and all this, right? right? So it's, it's building into that a little bit here. Yeah. But you have to believe that, that he would blindly do anything for Bucky. And yeah. I think for the most part, you get it here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it does a good job, and especially that train scene where he where he falls off into the water, and you think he's gone. You kind of feel that with Cap. You yeah. feel him like you know that one like that one hurt him. It definitely did. Yeah. But the pair of them before they do take off to war do have a little bit of fun. They attend the 1943s World Exposition of Tomorrow. Yeah, oh. Disneyland, Stark Expo, <laughs> Epcot Center, whatever yeah. you want to yeah. call it. This is a really fun scene, and it's got a lot of Easter eggs stuck in it because. This, again, we, we've confused this on previous podcasts <laughs> yeah. about the, how this feels so much like Iron Man 2, or at least yeah. the start here with the Stark Expo. This is right. what he was trying to parallel and reference in Iron Man 2 when he was trying to say, this is what my dad did. I wanted to do something similar and yeah. honor him about that mm-hmm. or with that. And I think it's really cool they cl- included it here. 
And the fact that we get the appearance of Howard Stark, played by Dominic Cooper, really cool. We get the little thing with the synthetic man and the red suit of the original Human Torch, yeah. <laughs> which again is a callback to the 1940s comic books, which is fantastic. And this whole scene, even with the flying car, we're getting the, the the kind of the initial stages of what eventually I think become Iron Man's repulsor rays, the, right. the flight, oh. and the red car even is really cool because it's Iron Man red, and then you go to Agents of Shield, and Phil Coulson's got a flying red car. Well, yeah, see that's Lola. what I was related it to is that Nick Fury he always had the yeah, red floating that's car. That's again, yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. But yeah, the, the repulsor's Iron Man. Okay, I yeah. get that. Yeah. So he's called the rubidic repulsor or reverse technology or something like that. Yeah. So it's I think it, it's kind of a precursor there. So yeah. they're connecting again. They've spent a bit of time connecting Thor, and now they've connected Iron Man. That whole universe. Right. So again, we're sticking here. If if this had to come before, you'd be like, I am totally lost. But now yeah. that it comes after, you're like, oh my god, we spent 15 minutes in this film we've got the introduction of our hero our villain the sidekick as well as connection to the wider universe this is economic storytelling yeah. at its finest that's right and tony's dad i mean it's it's so cool um i was going to mention so going back to that human torch that we see do we think in this movie verse because i guess they haven't confirmed it do we also think that could also be something to do with the vision because i know obviously in the comics it was like the it was like Wonder Man's body, which then became the Vision. Yeah, it was like pieces of the, the synthetic original Human Torch and all yeah. that. Yeah. The way that they approached it in Age of Ultron, I don't think so. Because that yeah. seemed like they kind of built that up with um, Dr. Chow, Amadeus Chow's mom there or whatever. Oh, yeah, And how right. like there was like that regrowth technology that they slapped on a ha- Hawkeye and all that. I almost said Hawkman. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. <laughs> um, so I don't right, think so. Because so. I guess it'd just be too confusing. To yeah, you just a bit of a nod. Simon and all that. And but this is the first time I actually noticed that on top there's a banner that says the synthetic man. Yeah. Cool. Which is exactly like the synthesoid that Vision is. And that, right. You know, right. so it's, it's I guess cool. they could say human torch. Or, no. Or could they? I they probably could. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, I don't know yeah. if they could have or not. Right. So, but it's at this World Fair that Steve Rogers does finally get noticed by Dr. Erskine. And Erskine, Erskine, something to that effect. And, you know, we, we've got him trying again and again to enlist in the military. And this is what this doctor is looking for, this altruistic man. He's looking for more or something beyond the physical, someone that's courageous, someone that has intelligence. And he identifies this. Like, this is a bit out of nowhere, but it is sticking with the origins of Captain America. The original comic book doesn't have this same doctor. It is eventually retconned to be Dr. Erskine. But it is a different doctor in the original Captain America number one. I was a bit confused when I was reading it last night. It's Doctor Strange. Yeah. <laughs> but it's cool that, that we do have this continuity. We're taking a German scientist, and he's the one that eventually makes Captain America into, or Steve Rogers into Captain America. And that is also shared with the Red Skull. So keeping that origin, I think, is really important. And they really execute it well. And Stanley Tucci, as this character, I freaking love him here. Yeah, you love the guy. He just seems like he has the best intentions. Yes. He really does. Just welcome yeah. to the Hunger Games. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's, it's like, yeah, it's funny that he's in that too. Yeah. <laughs> but he's great in this. Yeah, yeah, he's a great actor. He doesn't do enough. I think no. he should do more. No. Who's his agent? I'm going to get in touch with him. <laughs> he's good at Julia and Juliet. Yeah, he's the, he's the husband in that one. But, um, you know, actually. Oh, no, no, we can't just let that go unnoticed. <laughs> Julie and Juliet. <laughs> Is this is this a Troy pick or is this a fiance pick? Fiance pick. Okay, okay. Compromise. Compromise. So the nerd room is going to morph into the romantic comedy room. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Stay tuned for Grey's Anatomy and some more. Um, yeah. Nice when, when Harry movies. met Sally. That's a good one. That's a classic. Love that one. Yeah, but you, you feel for his uh, his death though. I, at least I did because they they build up this character. You like him. 
in the back of your head, you know he's gonna die. Oh, yeah, of course. And that bullet, that bullet, that the gun's uh, pulled, and he takes that bullet. And you're like, ah, oh, shoot, I kind of want more of that guy, but you know. <laughs> yeah, and I think happen. all the credit to Stanley Tucci because realistically, we don't spend. He doesn't have a ton of screen time. No. But you really believe the relationship between him and Steve, and you really believe that he believes in what he's trying to do. Yeah, he really builds up Steve Rogers yeah. to the Iron to, to the Iron Man, to the Captain America that we know, actually. All these things he mentions, you know, mm-hmm. the, maybe it's the time for the little guy to win the war. I yeah. Think he mentions, right? Yeah, yeah, and even asking questions like, do you want to kill Nazis? And yeah. Steve's answer is, no, I, I want to save people. Yeah. I, I don't like the bully. Yeah. And so it's these type of qualities looking for, and I like juxtaposing him to Tommy Lee Jones's Colonel Phillips, who was very much against Steve Rogers, which is different from the comic books, but it's nice to have those two characters that are are vying for this and pulling back and forth between the idea of the physical nature of a soldier and the idea of the mental, the intelligence, and the altruistic nature of a soldier. So it's nice seeing both spectrums of that, and you see them pulling him back and forth. It's like, he's not strong enough, but that's not what I'm looking for in someone to be part of the super soldier program. So I really like how they built all that up. So one other character that is that is quickly introduced here, we do do a bit of jumping back and forth here in this film as we go through into Germany and New York, like I said, but it's a, it's a way to introduce characters without spending too much time, I think, in, in one location. And the one we do get introduced here is kind of a, a sub-villain is Dr. Arnim Zola, played by Toby Jones. Right. Someone we do see pop back up in Winter Soldier yes. and who has a really cool introduction here. He's looking through this magnifier which is a nice throwback to yeah. the idea of what Arnim Zola actually is. It's a TV screen inside of a body. Yeah. <laughs> and we all said they're never going to pull this off in Winter Soldier. Yeah. We all thought this was the only time we're going to get that little nod to right. the proper Arnim Zola, but they did it in, in Winter Soldier. And I think that this character here, Toby Jones, his him being the right-hand man of the Red Skull is great. I've said it's great and I love it. And you're going to hear that <laughs> continually throughout this. But every character here, I'm absolutely loving. The casting here, is absolutely fantastic for this whole movie. The casting is spot on, and, and this character works so well with um, Red Skull there. And and I really do like, I know I'm jumping ahead here, but I do like the setup that they actually put in here for Winter Soldier. I never really paid too much attention to this scene, actually, until now, going back to it, watching it the other day, and I'm like, okay, and this is where S.H.I.E.L.D.'s going. This is where S.H.I.E.L.D.'s heading, and this is where Hydra kind of pops in and gets inserted. Yeah. Well, so. you look at like how that, with colonel phillips you have that interrogation scene exactly and you see him talking about it's basically the brain drain of europe post-war is that they take all these german scientists and insert them into american institutions and this is why we eventually get the arnim zola that we see in winter soldier and the progression of how hydra sneaks its its tentacles into shield yes yes yeah so it's it's all seated right here yeah even though maybe they weren't thinking about it, but they work all of the story together. Yeah, and they've been doing so ever since going all the way up to uh, Civil War there. Exactly, exactly. So as we we progress through this, we're finally getting to the stages here of where we're having Steve Rogers turn into Captain America, at least from a training perspective, where we end up at Camp Leahy, which we do revisit later on in the series as well. But it's here where we get the introduction of Agent Carter, Peggy Carter, played by Haley Atwell. This is a character that becomes a staple in this series, at least through the majority of Phase 2. She makes appearances in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., she has her own show of Agent Carter, Age of Ultron, Ant-Man, The Winter Soldier, so she is, yes, much older, but she becomes someone that ends up being the glue through a good chunk of this universe post the death of Phil Coulson. So how do you guys feel about Agent Carter here and her relationship and chemistry with Steve Rogers and her insertion into the film at this point? Yeah, I think it's a good casting. I think she does a terrific job. It's kind of crazy. You don't really realize how much she's in the MCU until you just listed off all those films. And I'm like, yeah, she has been in quite a bit of work. So good for her. I mean, this could have just been a one and done character. 
uh, very easily could have been. I don't even think when they wrote the character that they were thinking, okay, she's going to, you know, continue on for the next 10 years playing this character. But I think she did such a terrific job and she just connected with the audience and um, yeah, she's stuck around and I will not anymore, unfortunately, but uh, she did a great job. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. She she was she's a good hit. She's 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 a big hit in this film. But she was so subtle, you know, to everything that she did and her actions. And she has some great scenes in here, you know, going back to when Steve tests out his uh, his shield for the first time, yeah. and she shoots it after. Uh, what she's crazy. Like, what's someone... she doing? <laughs> Just because he was hitting on another girl, like she tried to kill him. Like, don't mess with uh, Carter, Agent Carter. Yeah, get Carter, Coach Carter. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she's great, and honestly, she was a hit because yeah, she she got her show on ABC. Yeah, two uh, two seasons, two wow. seasons, right? Yeah. And then she made yeah, you know when you did that list of rundowns of what she's been on from uh, Ant Man. Yeah, I totally forgot about. She got a one shot too. That the. It, Agent Peggy Carter or Agent Carter. Right. That's what kind of was a backdoor pilot to her whole, I think it was 20 episodes. Wow. So yeah. Holy smokes. And then, then obviously her, was it her niece is still running yeah. around? Sharon Carter. Sharon Carter, obviously. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Agent 13. The That's right. neighbor to Steve. Yeah. Right. Which actually it's, I just found this out again last night reading Captain America number one. So side tangent, Sharon Carter, who's called Agent 13 in the Winter Soldier is a reference to the agent who is called Agent X-13 in Captain America number one, who isn't Peggy Carter, but who plays a similar role to Peggy oh, Carter okay. in that number one issue. But it's kind of a nice reference that they did. I don't know if that continues on. It potentially does in the comic books when they retcon all over the place Sharon Carter and Peggy Carter and all this and making mm-hmm. her niece at a point or granddaughter, I think, in the MCU. Right. It's kind of cool that they're referencing back to this Captain America number one with Agent 13. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Not many people can say they made up with the grandmother and the daughter or the great grandchild. So there I you go. I don't know if many people want to. <laughs> <laughs> but Agent Carter here, she uh, actually one thing I want to say. You said subtle. I think what's not so subtle about yeah. her is the first appearance of Peggy Carter. She punches a dude in the face. <laughs> I love that tone that they yes. set though right off the bat. She is a badass. I love that. Yeah, that, that's great. This is not your typical damsel in distress, exactly. your romantic involvement of Captain America with the, with Peggy Carter here. This is someone that just takes center stage right away. And this is why this character has lasted so long, is yes. that I, this opening scene, she punches the biggest dude on in the row here. Right. I think that's a statement right there saying, oh, this is a different type of character. No, badass, badass. And she does eventually, along with Colonel Phillips and Howard Stark, start up what eventually becomes shield but what's referenced in here as the ssr this strategic scientific reserve that's a precursor to shield this is referenced all through the agents of shield tv series this is referenced in the agent carter tv series the ssr so we get a lot of again small universe building for people that are invested in this you get a lot more out of this seeing shows and seeing the references later on in the MCU. Now in the build up to Captain America becoming Captain America, there's a few cool scenes here at Camp Leahy with Agent Carter. And one that really sticks out is this grenade one. This is that final straw that breaks Colonel Phillips here into recognizing who Steve Rogers actually is. And I've always really liked this scene about him throwing this live grenade and Rogers without even thinking, jumping on it where you have the rest of the crew scattering here. This is, I think a big moment for this character because it's that pivot point for Tommy Lee Jones's character. And it's also right before we go into the, the transformation sequence. It's, it's, we really finally get that he's displayed his intelligence through the flag thing. He's displayed his courage through this, this grenade thing. I think that all really comes to a culmination in this scene here. 
It's, it's a great, great scene. I love it. And, you know, he, yeah, he gets Tommy Jones on board, but he gets the rest of his fellow men, too. Yeah, right. You know, the camera goes around, you can see the face on everyone else, and they're like, oh, man, this guy is going to take the name. <laughs> it's like, I, I, it's, it, it's great. And then, and then you get the score, too. It's not the best score in the MCU, but it works for this mm-hmm. film so well. And it, it's kind of inspiring when you, when you see and hear these moments throughout the film. You're kind of like, man, you know, Rogers, is, he's just a good dude. Yeah. How do you not root for this guy? So, uh, yeah, going back to that scene, I really appreciate what they did there. Yeah, you know? The score, too. That's something that, that we like to talk about here sometimes. And I think yeah. it, this is probably a good time to talk about it. It's yeah. because you say that it's, it's not that strong. I think out of every MCU film that we've reviewed so far, yeah. with the exception of Iron Man, it is the strongest. Oh, okay. Yeah, well. Uh, the swelling of the score, and it's that, that patriotic score. Yes. But the swelling of it at particular moments through this, it was it almost acted as something that really added to the scene or it really does add to the scene yes. more mm-hmm. so than any of the other scores that we've had because up until this point we, we say can you hum a mcu score and none of us can yeah. really hum anything outside yeah. of maybe the avengers right yeah right. and this one it's I, I can't really hum it but every time it's on i'm like okay i'm in a captain america movie yeah yeah there's that iconic like song they have or yeah. score for captain america that's just great mm-hmm. and they use it throughout this film so well yeah, I'm not going to hum. Don't worry. But um, yeah, I agree with you. I don't know if it's necessarily my strongest, but I I do like what they do in this film with yeah. it. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I, it, I it's it. kind of a one and done score because you can't put this score into the Winter Soldier or Civil War. Yeah. Like this only fits this era of movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's kind yeah. of a unique score in that sense. It doesn't develop a theme for Captain America because it's like that's something that we have in other movies is right. Wonder Woman has her theme. Right. may not be a fan of it, but she has her theme <laughs> right. that fits right. in the World War One time frame, but also in the modern day. Mm-hmm. This one, it doesn't. It Like I said, it fits the era, but really not so much the character as he evolves out of the 1940s. Right. Yeah. Right. You, you guys still found the Thor one more so, Sanjay? Uh, I'm going to actually go with this one over yeah. the Thor one. Cool. Actually, you know, um, it has like kind of like that brass instrument, you know, and as you said, the swelling of the score, you know, it really tugs on the emotions and i think they did a good job with this score actually i was quite impressed yeah you're right tugs on the emotions that's yeah. key yeah. yeah and before steve rogers goes in for his final procedure before getting the super soldier serum injected in him we really get a look into the villain's origin through the eyes of dr erskine and he really tells this and it kind of gives us a good impression as to what this super soldier serum does we've heard a lot about it in the MCU already through Incredible Hulk. And this is something that we come back to a lot is the recreation of the super soldier serum. And I really like how they just sat down and laid it out for you. It said, this essentially amplifies everything inside of a human. If you're good, you become better. If you're bad, you become worse. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's kind of a cool way to put it. It's not getting down into the science and the details and trying to break down the kind of the, the intricate biology behind this it's just a very simple explanation of what this serum does and it really works it really works on the end of explaining why the red skull is the way he is he's not just this naturally crazy human he's been amplified and jacked up he doesn't fall i don't think to the perils of this idea that a lot of marvel villains are evil for the sake of being evil and just have this this plot to take over the world there's something behind this and it's explained in this scene when they're also explaining how the super soldier serum works so it works to me on two different levels is it explains a lot with a very little bit of dialogue plus you get massive pecs after yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Huge pecs>. <laughs> <laughs> it's the american way i mean if you can't win take some steroids and then you win well that's, that's what they get to i mean yeah it works for me how they, they pulled it off but in the comics, was it just like an injection? Like, was it literally like a steroid-looking kind of needle? Or was it kind of like a lab <laughs> set up like this? I did read this last night, right. but I, to be honest with you, I can't. It was very straightforward yeah. and simple. I mean, I'm glad they went this way. Because yeah. I mean, for kids looking up like, 
if I want to be that cap, I got to shoot something. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be horrible. So this is a little better. Yeah. I guess. Just don't uh, let cap compete in the Olympics or anything. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Phelps, watch out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the transformation scene, did you like this kind of buildup? We have the audience watching yeah. and the Vita rays are mentioned and you had this kind of closed capsule. Like this is a kind of a really cool scene. I like what they're doing here with, with the doctor and the serum. And you have that nice interplay between Howard and the doctor and the doctor and Captain America or Steve Rogers at the time. Yeah. Oh, I love this scene, that transformation scene. That's great. And then he steps out and he's huge. <laughs> Man, this guy is big. He's, he's yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Did you get, so there's a point there when he gets injected and he's staring at the camera and he does the big eyes. Did you get Edward Norton in the Hulk from that? Yeah. A little yeah. bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah like totally. That, I don't know if that was on purpose, purpose or not, right. but that that's the only real connection to Hulk that yeah. I can see. Right. Like, yeah. other than the fact he had the super soldier program or serum and all that, right. yeah. which kind of links all that up. But that, that one moment with his eyes shooting open, I was like, he's hulking oh, out. Yeah. yeah. And he yeah. kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised his pants stay on, though. It's they like, do shrink. They do have yeah. smaller <laughs> pants on. <laughs> <laughs> but off the back end of this transformation, we get the assassination of Dr. Erskine, and we move into finally the first real action sequence of the movie. This has been a movie filled with character development and organic growth in, in characters and development of a plot, development of a narrative, but we haven't had any action in a Captain America movie yet. And this first action piece isn't a huge set piece either. This is fairly small, but it is a real exploration sequence where we're seeing him start to use his abilities. We start to understand how he is able to move, his agility, his strength, and all that. And I think that really frames up this this whole power set of Captain America fairly well. So as we go through the movie, we kind of understand what he's capable of. Yeah, I really like this scene. It's actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It really brings me back to Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man. You know, when Spider-Man's chasing down the thug oh, that right. killed yeah. Uncle Ben. Yeah. And he's just discovering his powers as he's going through uh, New York. It's kind of the same thing with Steve Rogers here as he's figuring out his powers, his mobility, his strength, and, and how he can go all over the place and just run through things or jump through things or swim. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I really do like this scene. And, and, and the CG works for me here still. I know it's still not the best, but it never takes me out mm -hmm. yeah. of the film even today. And uh, yeah, it's great. I, I like the little one part of the in, in the scene too, where the kid's like, "Nah, don't worry about me. I can swim." That, I laugh every time. That is the best. <laughs> it's the best. It's it's like it would have been such a cliche if you had yeah. to jump in and save the kid, yeah. and the guy gets away, right? But no, he's just like, "No, dude, I'm good." Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's great. It. It's I great. Love we that, didn't yeah. have any kind of humor like that throughout the film at this point. Yeah. So when they threw it in there, I wasn't expecting it. And I was yeah. just like, "Ah, oh, I really like that." Yeah. This movie's about subtle humor. It's yes. not, it doesn't hit you over the head with anything, but some of the interactions between Bucky and and Cap, like especially when Bucky finds or when Cap finds Bucky, there's the kind of that banter back and forth. Some of the banter with the Doctor, stuff like this. Yeah. It's probably the least funny, yeah. but oh, still sure. one of the most well executed in inserting little pieces of comedy in in the whole MCU. That's right, and it never feels out of place. No, never. No, exactly. Well, I, I I'm gonna disagree with that. There's okay. one thing the humor that kind of took me out was uh, the scene. We'll get to it later, but they're fighting in the warehouse, Cap and Red Skull, and you have this really cool like battle. They're going back and forth, and then you see like uh, Zola pulls a lever, and then the uh, pathways part, and yeah. they're like pulling apart, and then you can see Red Skull's face kind of like drooping off, like you can see like the red underneath, and it looks so creepy. Yeah, 
And then I think, like, so, like, the tension is, like, palpable. You're like, oh, my God, like, what's going to happen next? Yeah. And then Bucky throws out the one-liner. Like, I can't even remember what it was. But oh, like, I really like this. What? No. Yeah. It's... Wait, he says, he says, you don't, or you don't have that, do you? Yeah, yeah. To me, it oh, felt I like. I, didn't, I don't think that's bad at all. Yeah, I remember what? that part. No. no, man. To me, it felt like the air in the balloon got let out. I was, like, <laughs> no, so, man, like, really? let's do this. That builds on the, the banter they had before about him being, like, oh, my God, you're taller. Like, what happened to you? Yeah. 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 I think they just, like. Oh, and, and, and they've had that throughout the whole franchise. I think yeah. it works, or not works, soldier, but in Civil War, they have some banter as they're fighting too. Yeah, you know. So, ah, I, I yeah. don't know. I, okay. I just, I just didn't think it fit in that time. But like that—that's just me. I'm a curmudgeon who hates humor. So that's <laughs> <laughs> true. You like to see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, in this in this quick action piece, we get him picking up the door with the star on it, right. which yes. is the second time we've had the shield reference. One was the garbage can at the start, yeah. and the second one is this door with the star on it. Again, another nice four shadowing i love it it is kind of on the nose but at the same time it's great yeah i like that the, the, the garbage can i don't know if that's a reference to uh the first captain america movie or maybe part two but there's one when he picks up a garbage can that is lit. this one no but like the, the old oh old like movies. when he's like in like the motorcycle like the oh, 90s? yeah like the original ones i, I think yeah. he does that in that film too so I didn't oh really hear. yeah <laughs> I think oh so, yeah. man <laughs> i saw that once a long long time ago yeah <laughs> should we rewatch it that's no. no, okay. I think there's like three of them. Yeah, Captain America, 90s, Super Dave, 90s. Captain America, yeah. Super Dave, yeah. same thing. <laughs> Captain America, Death Too Soon. <laughs> yeah. Well, this this is the first time that we actually get a full Chris Evans in this. And why don't we just pause here for a second and talk a bit about Chris Evans in this role? Chris Evans was was the first choice for this, and he refused it numerous times. Really? Yeah. They he, they went after him for I think six movies. He won nothing to do with these big long extended contracts, and he's always been the one that has slowly come to accept the role he's playing. He's always been the one I'm worried about leaving. Right. Not yeah. so much anymore, but he's always like, my six, I'm done. Now we know he's signed on for more. He's making yeah. appearances, like little cameos in Thor of the Dark World. And potentially, spoilers, there's a little cameo in Spider-Man Homecoming. There's, there's other actors that were rumored to play this, including John Krasinski from The Office, as well as Ryan Felipe. So do you think Chris mm. Evans embodies this role the same way Hemsworth and Downey do? Yeah, no, I think Evans has done a terrific job, and he owns that role now. I mean, we talk about uh, Hugh Jackman leaving Wolverine. You know, Chris Evans, you know, he has not quite that same uh, pull, but it's close. Like, he's up there. If you're talking about one of the... He's top 10, you know, roles in a comic book movie of all time. His role as Captain America has been that good. He's synonymous with this. Yeah, yeah, he owns it. You know, I've never, again, going back when the... Uh, when they said uh, Human Torch, you know, basically is yeah. Captain America. I was like, well, I get out of here. And then the minute I saw this film, I was like, he he killed the killed the role. I, I think there's even rumors before that Sebastian Stan was also up for yeah, it. Yeah, I think he and Will Smith, yeah. which was was like way back, like Will in like Smith? the late nineties, yeah. I think. Get jiggy with it. Yeah, but yeah, Chris Evans just he does it for me. And, and each film, he gets better and better. And he's one of the guys I'm like, don't leave. He's like, he's like, I don't want Kobe to leave the Lakers. I don't want Chris <laughs> Evans to leave the MCU. Yeah, yeah. He's, he, He's my dude in this universe. Maybe he'll be like Shaq and end up in the Celtics. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, looking at his portrayal here, I thought that I wasn't going to be as enamored with his performance. I know he's developed a lot as an actor in the last six years or whatever. But when I come back here, his, his emotional acting, his face, how he responds to things, it's really good here. It's as good as it is in other movies. And a lot has to do with just 
Chris Evans behind this character, yeah. you really feel like he is Steve Rogers. You believe everything that comes out of his mouth. For sure. You know, I'm gonna even go one step over here and Sanjay, this might this might reveal. All right, right. All right. Chris Evans isn't only the best Captain America we have, he's the best Superman we have. Wow. This guy, yeah, because he's he's patriotic and you, you root for him. It never comes off corny. But he's never emo like too, like what they tried darkening him up. I don't think I won't say emo, but they tried darkening up um, the Man of Steel a little bit, right? Yeah. I think Christopher or um, Steve Rogers is true to like what we have in the comics. I think he's he's just the, the best like all you can be American superhero. Like the big blue Boy Scout. The big blue. He's the true blue. This guy right here. He's he, he owns this role. But yeah. it's not like yeah. a rah rah America no, USA it's, it's type not like thing. that at all. It doesn't no. feel like that. It's so patriotic that no. you're like. Oh come on! This is pathetic. No, he's doing it for everybody. He's yeah. taking everybody with him. Yeah, yeah, he may have, he may be Captain America, but he represents more than the American values yeah. of the time. Yeah. He represents just being a good person and doing the right thing yeah. beyond just this this waving this red, white, and blue banner. For sure, for sure. That's why he got a little nudge in that Thor hammer. Yeah, <laughs> he should have been able to pick it up. He should be able to. Yeah, <laughs> it's not the only hammer he nudges. <laughs> Speaking about the suit and the patriotism. After the death of Dr. Erskine and the moving of the SSR to Europe to take the fight to Hydra, Steve Rogers becomes a bonds salesman, more or less. He is paraded <laughs> out in front of people to sell war bonds. But in this whole sequence here, it's, it's a lot of fun. One, yeah. two, we get the origin of the Captain America suit. This is the best way to bring in a goofy costume and make it feel somewhat grounded. <laughs> I, I can't believe how well this was done. This whole American propaganda machine ramping up for the war, and we've inserted the one, the only Captain America into this, like putting him up on this huge pedestal and saying, go out and sell things. Yeah. And he just buys into it too. There's never any real resistance there. Like there is a little bit, but like he's in these, these propaganda videos. Yeah. And they're kind of dramatizing more a bit before we actually get to the real war in Europe. Yeah. Like, like this is a really great scene and a really great way to introduce <laughs> what could have been a really dumb costume. Yeah. 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 You know, it's good. I remember when I did first, initially, first initially watch this film, I was like, ah, this part, I just wasn't into it. I felt like it dragged a little bit. Yeah. But you know, it, it, again, this is credit to, um, Chris Evans here on his portrayal of Steve Rogers because I feel like he, even though we didn't see scenes of him being hesitant of taking that role, there's a part when he's watching like the film and he gives it a smile like, okay, I, I guess I can accept yeah. this. You yeah, know? people are cheering for exactly. Him. Yeah. yeah, so um, yeah, overall it's great. But I really do like how they made fun of the costume but still embraced it and used it in there. We get the shield like the yeah, yeah, cap shield, yeah, the triangle cool. thing, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you get the you know the um, the nod to him punching. Hitler, Hitler which yeah. is like the comic cover. Yeah, that's right. They actually right? get the cover in here too. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Exactly. Yeah, all the yeah. kids are reading it, and it's going to GI. That's and really that. cool. Yeah. 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 So it's like a nice, nice parallel to what actually happened in the real world yeah. with the comic book. Yeah. Right, right. And I, I do like how this costume kind of leads into the the other costume, not not his final costume, but the the one in between when we get like the ultimate helmet on. Yeah, well, that's that's Hol awesome. Like that's, that a yeah. helmet. Yeah, I want that hot toy because there's a hot toy out there. Oh really? And a leather jacket. Yeah. Oh wow. Incredible. Yep. Okay. Yeah, like, I, I really dig it. My only thing was, like, you know, so they were supposed to get an army of super soldiers, but they only get one, and what do they do with them? They trot them out to sell war bonds. I was like, put this guy on the front lines. Like, this guy's going to kick ass. Like, what are they doing, like, sheltering him? I never got that. Well, that was all Colonel Phillips. He's kind of said, I was promised an army, and I got you. Yeah. But, like, what are you going to do? Like, it's like, oh, if I had, like, an 
like a thousand nuclear warheads but i only have one i'm just gonna not use it like that's a good point <laughs> that is a good point like that's that's my <laughs> only like thing it's like really like but the, the sequence itself was good fun like it, star-spangled man with a plan yeah <laughs> love that they should have that versus iron man in the next lip-sync battle you know I, t- t- uh, robert downey jr could sing iron man and then he Chris Evans can sing that song. You have the Tetris dance in the background. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Respect <laughs> your elders, okay? <laughs> I, th- I think with, the, with this scene, though, a lot of the point of it is, yeah, you get kind of the introduction all this, but it is the brightest scene in the whole movie. And then the next scene we go to is war. Yes. Yeah. So I like what they did there. They made you feel all bright and, and kind of uplifted. This is what America felt like at the time. Well, now here's the reality of war. Right. Yeah. And they kind of hit you over the head with that. To me, that transition is one of the best in the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it really puts into perspective what's going on in Europe during World War II and what the soldiers that he goes eventually rescues have been going through. So it's kind of this a rapid mindset change for Steve Rogers to kind of adapt from, hey, I'm important here, but I get here and I'm just another soldier. Yeah. So it's kind of humbling in a sense yeah. for Steve Rogers to go from pulling a motorcycle over his head with planes going over and fireworks going off to just being a guy there and getting tomatoes and that thrown at him from the crowd right and i think this is the point where the the movie really kicks into a true captain america origin story this is when we get him really coming into that role of super soldier getting that actual soldier mantra to him and we get the reintroduction of peggy carter here he meets up with with colonel phillips and he finds out that the crew that he was about to present to or kind of show off to was the 107th that was bucky's division that he was assigned to and they get word that only half the guys came back from a fight against hydra and half of them were captured here and captain america sets off on his first solo stealth mission aided by howard stark and peggy carter and this is when we really get to see him exploring and well there's the building of the costume but exploring the power set amongst hydra and we get some cool fight sequences here and also the introduction of the howling commandos yeah, nick fury's how yeah. howling commandos <laughs> It's like Dum Dum. He's great in this. He is, like Neil he McDonough. Is. He, oh, man, I love that. And all <laughs> these characters. Derek Luke is Gable Jones here. He's the guy that can speak French and German. Right. Yeah. Um, he's fantastic. These are all from the 1963 Nick Fury's Howling Commandos number one. Wow. wow. So it's a nice big callback to previous iterations of World War II comic books that weren't necessarily wrapped around Captain America. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a nice insertion, a nice nod to the wider comic book universe of the war times of World War II. So this, this whole sequence here, again, it's not a big action sequence, but it serves the purpose of introducing you to another group of characters, similar to the way we got in Wonder Woman, yeah, right. as well as showing Captain America in uniform. And this is where we do get him finding Bucky again. And Bucky is strapped to a table, being experimented on by Arm Zola. And this, it never really clicked for me until I watched The Winter Soldier that this is the point at where he starts to become the Winter Soldier. So Arnim Zola ah. is experimenting on him here. And when he does eventually bite it by falling out of the train here, this is why he's able to survive. Yes, they're freezing him, but he has this enhanced strength, as you see in Winter Soldier. So I think some of that is supposed to be seeding this very early on. Oh, I never even picked that up. Oh. Yeah, so this is a movie that's three years out yet. Yeah. We don't know how successful America, Captain America is going to be. We don't know how successful avengers is going to be but the the script writers had enough foresight to to seed something a bit different and it's picked up in the origin of bucky and winter soldier as well but it's nice to see some of that here that's pretty interesting actually because i, I guess you know because i wasn't reading cap at this point i, I still don't read 
that much cap, but I'm aware of like what's going on. But Winter Soldier was still like a the run was done, but it's still a pretty big in the back of my mind of right. those events, right? So it's pretty cool that they kind of capitalized off that and thought, you know, let's keep go further if if we're lucky, if we're successful. So it's, right. it's cool to see that that's a plan they they stuck to and and it worked out. So that's really neat. This scene kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Hacksaw Ridge, actually, after watching Hacksaw Ridge oh, really? uh, the past year. Well, it's kind of similar events, right? Well, Andrew Garfield's character does saving all those men, I think 200 plus men. I mean, obviously, Steve Rogers here was at 400, and that was a true story. This isn't. But, <laughs> well, one's Cap, one's Spider Man, right? Well, there you go. There you go. So you know where I lie. <laughs> but yeah, it's a great. This, this, you're right. The movie really starts to pick up here. This is like the act that I really like from here forward in the film. And the tone and how he picks up his his crew, the Helen Commandos there, which is pretty neat. You know, he's been with a lot of teams because you got the the Vaders, the Avengers, and the Helen Commandos. Yeah. <laughs> this guy is he's an all star. Everybody wants him. So yeah. or he keeps getting traded. <laughs> <laughs> but he's the leader every time. <laughs> well, yeah. You land on the Avengers, so he works his way up the people. <laughs> and it's also here that we get, as you mentioned before, the face off between Captain America and the Red Skull, and the final reveal of the Red Skull. And again, this plays into this movie picking up momentum here is that we've got captain america for the first time being captain america and five minutes later we've got the red skull pulling his mask off which is a really cool reveal yeah like i like the idea that it was falling off as yeah, you mentioned before really and events he yanks it off the makeup looks great here oh, it doesn't so look good. ridiculous it looks no. good still good now yeah, yeah i thought like yeah. it does like they could have really went more of a cg right with it but the fact that they went practical and hugo weaving behind that is something we really haven't talked about much his accent's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel forced. And the whole character, how he carries himself, like Hugo Weaving nails this character. Yeah. yeah, that's why I say he's top three best MCU villain. I mean, he does such a terrific job, and I'm not surprised. Hugo Weaving is an amazing actor. Yeah. So. yeah. yeah. And Steve Rogers is successful here in rescuing the Howling Commandos and these, these other troops and all that and he gets a hero's welcome back to the camp where colonel phillips is and peggy carter so everyone is happy everyone's high five in here and then we get this great what i think is a great action sequence where we have this this montage of the howling commandos Uh, and the build-up to taking out hydra piece by piece with captain america in front of all this love it this is fantastic yeah cap with a gun which is a bit different yeah and you don't see him with a gun really ever again and so it's kind of again leading in and it's building the momentum of the action sequences here we've said in a lot of the the retrospective episodes that we often find that the best action sequence is usually the middle one and not so much the end right. and i think this one kind of builds on that as well yeah i would agree yeah 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 no i i love that montage i it's it's so cool you know it, it's it's neat when you see cap with that that shield and that gun because it's it's very much like bucky's cap because oh. bucky always had the pistol the shield yeah so we see steve rogers doing that but it makes sense for this time for him to be doing it right. back in world war ii and it's cool you know you get him doing that one sequence when he was it, he jumps on the tank no he takes a guy and throws him just literally throws this guy yeah. so high, <laughs> jumps into a tank uh the guy throws him like a, a bag oh, of yeah. grenades throws it in the tank jumps out i just love those quick little clips of him just kicking ass and yeah. Yeah, it, it was really well done. I, I I like that scene a lot. I'd love to see a comic book where they're filling in that gap of him going on adventures oh, with the Howling Commandos. Oh, I want to cool, see him yeah. land in Wakanda for like two seconds. Just go there for a little bit. Just go there and meet T'Challa's like grandfather. Yeah. Oh, oh, that would set up Black Panther pretty well. It would. Yeah. Well, speaking about Wakanda and that, we get yeah. our vibranium shield also introduced yes. before this, this whole sequence right. here. And <laughs> the only thing that really stuck out to me is when Howard Stark says... 
This is the only vibranium we have on the planet, or we know of. Yeah. And they've forged it into a shield. Yeah. Just on the happen, <laughs> just just hoping that maybe someday would use it. Even it's on the bottom shelf. It's like ah, don't worry. This metal is 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 priceless, literally priceless, and we're just gonna have it formed into a shield. <laughs> kind of a weird way to introduce it, but I still like how they had Howard Stark building the vibranium shield for Captain America. See, so I always wondered, like, what's the shield we see then in the Iron Man films? Because that thing's, like, plasticky. Yeah. Weird. Like, I always wondered with those two shields, like, what's going on there? I, the, my interpretation has always been that Howard Stark was building or putting together some sort of design. It was just a prototype. Oh, of oh okay. yeah, that, that makes, makes sense. sense, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's... The timing of it doesn't really line up yeah. unless he was trying to build something after the first shield he made after that vibranium shield right, right. and so maybe that does kind of make a bit more sense is that he's trying to create something different or like, i don't know so you look like even in the in the comics captain america's had so many different iterations yeah. of the shield like the how it looks the colors and right. all that so i always kind of took it more of that like that an evolution sense, yeah. of a piece and it was just stuck in some sort of like shield bin Right. It was yeah. as a prototype yeah. from Howard Stark or whatever, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we also get his new suit here. He gives kind of the designs to Howard Stark, and it, it's this World War II designed suit that we do see pop back up in Winter Soldier. And what do you guys think of this? He's got the, the proper bucket with the wings painted on the sides. He's got this uniform looking thing, but also has that Captain America red, white, and blue vibe to it. It's such a cool suit. Yeah. yeah. It's one of my favorite suits in the MCU. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's cool. And, and, and it's. um. It ages so well. You know, I look at it now. I look at it Winter Soldier. I look at it back going, obviously, to First Avenger. It just looks so good. Again, man, that hot toy. Yeah. It's pretty nice. So uh, it works for me. And I I wish they kept the suit similar like this into Avengers. Right. Just a little more fitted. Yeah. Maybe make the color a little more blue, but not as blue as the one in the Avengers. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really about it. Maybe a full headpiece, cover up the neck. I don't know. I'm not a fashion designer. (laughs) You're not. (laughs) Damn it, Troy. Uh, no, to me, it's the best Captain America suit we've gotten on film. It's it's amazing. It's breathtaking. It's such a cool suit. The colors, it's not so bright, and it's toned down, and it's kind of patchy, like with the patches, very like 90s looking in a way, like 90s comic yeah, looking. Yeah, it's got some like pouches and stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, Jim Lee. Yeah, yeah. Oh, tons yeah. of bullets and pouches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't think it's the best iteration. I think Really? It, no, I like this. What's, what's your favorite one? I'm a big fan of the stealth suit. Which is, oh, does, yes. there's no red, white, and blue. Yeah. And yeah. I like the suit in, I guess it would have been Civil War, Age of Ultron. Like that kind of yeah. darker toned take on it. Like right. it's yeah. somewhere between the stealth suit and what I guess we got in Avengers. Right. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Yeah. I like, the, I like the Ultron one the best because I feel like that one captures the Marvel, the Marvel Now costume yeah. the most. And you still got the white around the arms. I think... It's either Civil the, War, it's blue, so he's, it's yeah. a little bit more blue in Civil War. But I, I like the darker time. one because I was looking it's at darker the, in, yeah. I was looking at the Legends last night. I have both Legends, That's and one's Civil a lighter War. blue. I think it's the Ultron's a lighter blue, yeah, and the exactly. darker blue is Civil War. So you I think like the Civil War, one. Civil War, yeah. and the Stealth Suit are my right. favorite. Oh. I think Stealth Suit's up there for me. It's, it's my pretty, it's pretty yeah. cool. He yeah. like changes costumes a lot, eh? Yeah, guys sell those toys. Look at what talking about. Iron Man too. Yeah. In all of this, this whole action sequence that we do have with the Howling Commandos builds into this big train heist, which eventually leads to the death of Bucky Barnes. This was an, an interesting take on the death of Bucky Barnes because you look back at the retcon version from Avengers number 56 is that Bucky dies on top of a torpedo with him and Captain America tied to it by Zemo and Captain America falls off and Bucky flies off with this torpedo. So 
it, it felt almost like it happened really quickly. Mm-hmm. There didn't seem to be a big buildup to the death of Bucky Barnes. We all knew it was going to happen, but it just, boom, all of a sudden he's dead. <laughs> And he's yeah. fallen off of this train. Like I felt it was almost too quick to, to get that full emotional stake from it. Like, do you think, do you agree with me? I completely agree. You know, I remember watching this film, you know, it's kind of like the Hawkeye effect watching Age of Ultron when you're like, he's going to die. Like Ultron or Hawkeye has to die in this movie. And I yeah. always thought, I always knew Bucky's going to die in this movie. And I thought, what better way to do it than just like the comics, have him on that rocket. How yeah. cinematic could that look? Oh, it would have been great. And so I thought maybe it's the lava scene is going to die. Or maybe when he got captured, nope. And then we, we're on the train. I'm like, he's not going to die on the train. Yeah. And sure enough, he falls out the train. And I was like, ah, that's it. So, um, <laughs> but it's just, it's so abrupt. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, because you're on a train, everything's going. There's no time to really feel what just happened. Even Steve Rogers himself, you know, he has to just keep going. So I, yeah. I, I, I didn't really like how they Like even the death. reach out and all that, like that, it, there yeah. was no like, they just, maybe I wanted it to be a bit more emotional. Yeah, for like, sure. Because they spent some time building this character connection, and this this weighs into so many of Steve Rogers' decisions in future movies, in the rest of this yeah. movie. Yeah. But it just was like all of a sudden he reaching out, and then he's just screaming and falling down into a pit, and he's just gone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they really should go on that rocket route. Yeah. <laughs> they even did it in the Ultimate Cartoon. There's the Ultimate. I think you see these the Ultimate movies. Yeah, yeah. One and two, and I think it's part one when we or no maybe it's part two. They do a little origin story, and you see him and Cap oh, on the, like, okay. the final adventure, and, yeah. and, and Bucky, you know, bites it on the on the rocket. Ah, I have so, to rewatch. This. But maybe maybe they've done it so many times, they mm-hmm. want yeah. to do something different. Well, yeah. I, I agree with doing something different, yeah. but why didn't they go look for him? Because clearly the Russians <laughs> picked him up and dragged him back. Yeah, to the base. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yo, where are the Russians? Like, if it, where did he fall? Is this Norway or no? No, it's in, in Europe. Well, the Russians were all over the place in World War Two too. Like, yeah. they're the same way as Americans. Like, everyone had their yeah. bases everywhere and all this stuff. So it makes sense that the Russians found them. It depends on the... I don't know the exact timing of all this, how long they spent and exactly where they were at this point. They seem to be pretty far into Germany, I think, at this point. So there was a point at which the Americans and Russians kind of met almost at Berlin towards uh, the end of the war. So it's believable that the Russians would have picked them up. Makes sense. So, but I, I bought it. Yeah. <laughs> and as, as this movie kind of comes to, like, we talk about the pivot point being when he becomes Captain America, like when he really starts fighting in World War II. But the end of this movie is, is quite quick. We've got him doing this in this action sequence, the death of Bucky Barnes, and then we've got more or less the last stand of Hydra. Mm-hmm. And that all happens quite rapidly. We spent the majority of the film getting to know Steve Rogers and not so much the action. Did you feel that there's a lack of action in this before we get to this final fight sequence, before this last stand of Hydra? Or do you think it's, it was a fair development of a character into a point where I'm happy with the action that we got here? Yeah, I was happy with the action that we got here, especially nowadays when I feel like, and I did like Wonder Woman, and it's not just Wonder Woman mm-hmm. to blame here, but you, you're always guaranteed the final fight scene is just full-blown action, diehard, just... Yeah. Michael Bay blowing up <laughs> stuff. It's crazy. And it, yeah. I really do appreciate this this tone, this path that they decided to go on. It was a little more subtle. So I, I, I like it. I, I was never left uh, this movie being more hungry for action. I really like the action scenes that we got mm-hmm. in this film. I was always satisfied, at least. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, the ending scene, I would have liked to see a little bit more Cap and Red Skull fighting. It's just so iconic, and I hate to see that, that it's over now. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, no... Uh, it, it is pretty quick. Um, the action scene itself is kind of crazy. Like you have, 
uh, Hydra using like these sci-fi weapons oh, yeah. and then just blowing up people like into like uh, little like putties and then you have like the, yeah <laughs> the chopper sequences though those are awesome. oh that was unreal like, yeah rockets, I, don't, I don't know yeah the yeah jets. Yeah. yeah fighter jets yeah but i liked it because you know i mean this movie was meant to set up captain america and it did his job and now you know he's i don't think he's the most popular member of the avengers but he as i said many times he's the heart of the avengers so yeah definitely and as we're building into this whole last stand with hydra and that one thing that that i noticed that they did and they really strayed away from and they kind of acknowledged it right in the film was the idea of nazis versus hydra the mm-hmm. hydra was this this deep science division that had, was going to start to target the nazis as being still part of the enemies do you think that was a conscious decision by marvel by director joe johnson to remove the nazis from the fray here and and not have such a true evil villain and not having to deal with things like the holocaust and acknowledge these type of things like i think it's important that we all recognize that but do you think it made the movie a bit lighter because we weren't dealing with the atrocities of war or at least of world war ii and it was more about hydra wanting to be basically in power of the world this movie um i guess it still wasn't the disney buyout at this point no so no. they still had free range to do whatever they wanted so i think it's purely just director decision just to kind of maybe stay away from all the world war ii nazi nazi yeah. nazi maybe just to do something a little different mm-hmm. i could be wrong um because i if this was disney today for sure they would have gone the same route there's no way they would have done the whole they, sure. they stay pretty far away from swastikas yeah and, yeah yeah, and yeah. Stuff like, that. like yeah. they mentioned hitler and the fear and all that and yeah so yeah. there, there's some of that there but at the end it's it's pretty subtle i would think yeah yeah you know it's hard too because they've got like the same flags with the hydra symbol on that and it kind of replaces the nazis with hydra to a degree and you see that even in the comic books now is that hydra like even in this most recent captain america run it's hydra is is trying to circumvent the nazis and and adolf hitler to become the overall power in the world so you do see some of that already and i think i think some of it was just purely this is a bit easier of a story to tell we can do a bit more of what we want they're a bit more of this fantastical element of germany of world war ii yeah and you see that in the planes and like you said their weapons and all that and so that's where you kind of straddle that line between adapting something in true form in world war ii Mm -hmm. and being a bit more comic book-esque about it yeah so like you said, Troy, here in Sanjay, this, this last fight sequence takes place up on this huge plane where we have the Red Skull and Captain America going at it. We see some hand-to-hand combat before that. And one of the things I really do like is there's the point when these these bombs are supposed to be dropping to go Chicago and New York mm-hmm. and all that. And Captain America's floating around on one with one of the, the Hydra soldiers. This little rocket thing that they have looks exactly like the rocket that Bucky was on in Avengers number 56, the retcon version of his death. Wow. So it was a nice, cool throwback to all that. And I, I kind of like that. And I thought, you know, would that have been a more appropriate way for Captain America to die or even to bring Bucky into this sequence mm-hmm. and have him die that way, have him die on the same ship that he's on with the red skull to put a bit more stakes into this whole thing. Because when you look at the death of Captain America in this, it just doesn't feel like, there was that much urgency for him to drop the plane into the water. Why couldn't he have just landed that? Yeah. Like they, they did they ever really establish the idea that he had lost control of the plane or that this was like, maybe he's not a pilot. I don't know. Well, he was in flying that little thing. Yeah. Before. yeah. Like he he, he couldn't just Wikipedia. Thing. It It was back in the days before cell phones. <laughs> it, it just felt to me that this, this whole last piece, I never really bought the fact that he needed to, to ditch this plane 
And like, I know we need to get there for a story purpose mm-hmm. and for an overall. What, what, what was it? Wasn't he about to fly over a city eventually? If he did, he, like, he, he was... had a certain amount of time before he had to hit the water. If he didn't hit the water, then it'd be too late. Then they would release the bombs or something. But all the bombs were gone. It was more that. I think it's a ship the causing ship, yeah. damage to like a town, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, but it was heading for so New York or, or whatever. Like the East yeah. Coast. Yeah. But. Like he he was only in that plane for ten minutes. Even if it was supersonic, it'd still take hours to get to the east coast from Germany. Mm-hmm. He should have just jumped out of it like Winter Soldier. Well, he should yeah. just <laughs> turn you know just turn a bit to the right and flew up to the Arctic. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it just felt like you could have done a little bit more with this scene to yeah. make it was still emotional because you had that attachment to Peggy Carter and yeah. and you really liked Steve Rogers. Yes. You knew where this was going. It was right. basically telegraphed at the start of the film. Oh, yeah. That was probably. The only part I think is a bit weaker about this movie is that they ex- took so much time explaining everything and, and laying everything out for right. you, and then all of a sudden he's just like, "I gotta ditch it." <laughs> yeah, and then he ditches it. Yeah. gotta take a rain so check on just, that dance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But like the emotional stakes are there, but just not as high as I would have liked to have been. Yeah, see, the emotional stakes really work for me, but I'm also a sucker for like spoiler alerts, like the Yondu. The, the Ben Affleck deaths, like the Steve Trevor, like I'm a sucker for those things. I'm like, oh yeah. man, don't do it, don't do it. Ah, too yeah. late, you know? So they, they work for me. Um, I'm just trying to remember why he actually had to ditch the plane. I, I mean, the only thing I could fall back to is that he might have been going over a, a town, but you're right, like why couldn't he? I think he actually said the steering was shot. Like I think there was something oh, wrong yeah. with the Because their like, fighting led them into yeah. like, crash it into this whole thing yeah you know, but yeah yeah i don't know it's kind of so, i was yeah, it's a little bit weaker for me yeah yeah, yeah. he did something heroic though yeah, yeah. he's very very superman like yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about red skull being sucked into the the tesseract the cosmic cube such a tease <laughs> yeah such a tease because now he can come back and we have not been paid off yet yeah no. i don't think we're going to personally i don't yeah, think so. I, I'd never i would never say never i mean if spider-man made it into the mcu red skull could definitely come back That's someday true. I mean, we still have Abomination out there. We still have Red Skull out there. I mean, these guys could be in the cell in a Civil War comic book. What's that cell they had? The, the prison. What do you call it? Oh, the raft. The, yeah, the raft, raft right? Yeah. Or Slash maybe, negative zone. Yeah. <laughs> they make reference yeah. to Abomination being in some jail up in, in the, the Arctic. Shots, right? Yeah, in uh, Agents of Shield, I think. Agents of Shield. Yeah. Okay. Huh. I I just really think you know we we are lacking Red Skull. It would just be really cool to see him pop up eventually, mm-hmm. and I love the whole idea you mentioned, just like the masking. Uh, it worked for me. It, it's a classic maneuver, you know, seeing someone do that masking. Yeah. But I think with Red Skull, what he's done already here, it would make sense to see him in further films do that. Yeah, yeah. And so then, this film comes. We we set up with the Tesseract, the MacGuffin for the Avengers. Yeah. We've seen that teased at the end of Thor. And Howard Stark is the one that ends up with it. So this is why S.H.I.E.L.D. has it in present day. So we nicely end there. We've got Captain America frozen in the ice. And we cut to Captain America awake again. Sitting in what appears to be the 1940s. And he quickly picks up that... It's cool with the baseball game too. And he quickly picks up that this is all fake. This is all set up. And then he ends up in Times Square and is approached by none other than Colonel Nick Fury. Right. Connecting up the whole MCU here again. We've we've spent this whole movie seeding little bits and pieces in here. And this one just really hits you over the head. This is, for me, this is as impactful as that. You're part of a bigger universe now. Nick Fury was in Iron Man, Iron Man 2. He's now showing up in captain america setting up his appearance in the avengers 
What do you guys think about how this ends? Is this an appropriate way, or should they have waited to do this until Avengers? No, this this is the best way. Yeah, I lost yeah. my mind when I saw this in theaters. I, I just thought it was so cool because we're finally seeing everything really come together. He's a man out of time, you know. When he escapes and he's in Times Square and he's looking around, like that scene is just for me, it's classic. Yeah, it really is. And again, it falls down to Chris Evans and what he's done with this character. And, it's it's so good and yeah how he calls it, he's like no I was at that baseball game I was there yeah yeah you know who are you guys and uh, it just makes sense of what why he would do those things his actions so I liked it Sunday. yeah totally uh, it makes the film end on a happier note as opposed to kind of a downer <laughs> note and it gets you kind of amped up and ready for the Avengers which is the whole point of this movie and they succeeded yeah, yeah definitely and the end credit sequence here yeah. we've, we've got yeah. a scene directly out of the Avengers him punching the punching bag love that. And then we cut to a trailer, the first trailer for Marvel's The Avengers. Wow. I lost my mind. <laughs> the only thing I remember thinking, though, is that this looks amazing, but Thor's hair is way longer. And it kind of looked funny. <laughs> I was like, oh, that really looks like a wig. Yeah. <laughs> in hindsight, it doesn't. It's fine. Yeah. But I, I just for some reason, that thought sticks out in my head. And sitting in the theaters, I was like, oh, that looks kind of different. <laughs> See, it's funny. I, I thought um, <laughs> the opposite. I liked... Thor, I thought Thor looked better this time because I felt with Thor 1, there was like some weird makeup oh, yeah, that was issues awful. going on. I was like, yeah. this is weird. But um, yeah, that trailer, man, that was something else. <sighs> to see in the big screen in theater, I mean, you experienced it in theaters, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so to see good. that was just crazy. So yeah. good. That was the first time we got like a trailer after, as an end credit sequence as yeah. well. Yeah. It wasn't something just subtle that was teasing. This was like a scene right out of Avengers yeah. and then the freaking Avengers yeah. show. Yeah. The hype was real. It was yeah. crazy. Oh, yeah. 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 I came out of that just being like, give me all the compliments. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I gotta go back and watch that. Yeah. 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 All right, guys. Well, let's wrap it up here. Let's, let's end with our say on a recommendation. Do you guys recommend Captain America, the first Avenger? Sanjay? Yeah, totally. Um, it sets up the rest of the MCU. It sets up the Avengers and you cannot go through the rest of the MCU without seeing Cap's origin. Was it one of their stronger films? Ah, uh, that's up for debate. I think there were some weaker moments on this. Um, but you know, and as a whole, I think it works. And uh, you definitely got to see it if you're gonna continue on this journey with us. So, if you have a chance, check it out. Yeah, this is this is a must see. I totally recommend this movie. This is five cap shields out of five <laughs> cap shields. This this movie is great. It still holds up to this day. You know, doing this whole series with you guys, it's been great. And going back to some of the films that I did like a lot didn't hold up to be so much now but this movie still does if not more so so i'm, I'm really glad to the time to, to to revisit this movie and yeah i totally recommend it it's a must see you gotta watch this movie for 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 the continuing universe expanding or continue universe building yeah definitely you guys all know what my recommendation is here of Tim course this, this is yeah. <laughs> of course this is a recommend for my end like i said at the very start of this this is the linchpin of phase one this is I would say, other than Iron Man, the most important movie in Phase 1. This is what connects a lot of it together, mm -hmm. and this is what builds us into the Avengers, what then becomes the, the pinnacle of the comic book movie and the real start to the cinematic universe. You get it seated here, and it, it blossoms in the Avengers. This connects everything up. This makes us feel like a cohesive universe, and we get Evans here. We get a great portrayal of Red Skull. This is a Captain America movie I think that we all deserved, mm -hmm. and then this really launch pads the rest of this franchise, this Captain America-centric franchise, into what we have now, which eventually becomes Captain America Civil War and all that. So yes, definitely recommend. This is amongst my favorite of the MCU movies, even including Phase 2 and all that. This is definitely my favorite 
favorite phase one movie i think i think ah, it's hard because i love iron man but for me this movie does so much more for the universe Mm -hmm. while also still feeling like a solo origin story movie so yes definitely a recommend from me all right guys well that almost concludes mcu retrospective phase one we've got one more movie here which is going to be the avengers which we will be reviewing in august We've got next coming down the pipe here is Spider-Man Homecoming. That is going to be part of our MCU retrospective series. And make sure you guys are taking this ride with us. We've got a nice little back catalog now. You can go all the way back to Iron Man. You can find them on our Podbean page. There's just a nice little link on the bottom to the MCU retrospective series. And we've got a few other things coming down the pipe here that you guys should be looking out for that are going to enhance the experience of the MCU retrospective series. Make sure to tune in. This coming Thursday, episode number 79 of the Nerd Room Podcast, we've got a big announcement that will impact the MCU retrospective series as well as our podcast series in general. And if you are a fan of comic books and comic book movies and you don't listen to our other podcasts in Nerd Room, make sure to go check that out every single Thursday where we go through the latest in comic book and movie news. If you'd like to be part of the MCU retrospective experience and send us your comments, you can always hit us up at thenerdrm at gmail.com. You can comment on our Facebook Facebook or YouTube pages, or you can hit us up on Twitter. Our handles are at the end of the episode. Well, gentlemen, it's been an absolutely fantastic time and an absolute pleasure discussing one of my favorite movies, Captain America, the first Avenger. And I look forward to carrying on all the way up into Avengers Infinity War with this retrospective series and getting back to the table here in a couple weeks to discuss Spider-Man Homecoming. So make sure to tune into that and further on our other MCU retrospective episodes that are coming month by month, usually the last Thursday or Friday of the month, these will be dropping. So make sure to tune back in here for more MCU retrospective talk in the coming months. And for the Nerd Room MCU retrospective, I'm Tim. I'm Troy. And I'm Sanjay. This has been a Nerd Room podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim and Troy, on Twitter at TheNerdRM and Troy TheBoy87. Don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search The Nerd Room Podcast. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find other podcasts on the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Generation X-Wing, Tumbling Saber, Rogue Squadron Podcast, and the Skyhopper Podcast. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SW Commonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.